Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Trinity Radio. I'm Braxton Hunter, and along with me is... Jonathan Pritchett. Dr. Pritchett today, I guess. Dr. Pritchett. I'm Braxton. Look look at this. Look look at... What's up, Braxton and Dr. Pritchett? Yeah. Love you, Jose. Uh, so anyway, here we are for the live stream, 1 o'clock Friday live stream. What you all don't know is that Evansville is a sheet of ice right now, yes. the place where we live. And so, as a result... Uh, we braved those dangerous roads. To be here. Yeah, Braxton came by, scooped me up in his truck, and we drove very slow to get to work. Yeah, so that's how much this live stream means. I mean, I thought about not doing it for just a moment, but then I realized... It's worth risking uh, your truck over. Yeah, Brando, thank you. Hey, Docs, thank you. Yes, there's three Docs represented between the two of us. Um, it wasn't worth my car, by the way. It was worth your your truck. And the church splits here. Everybody should check out the church splits. Yeah. Wonderful channel. And one of our Trinity students yeah. runs that channel. So, all right, guys. So there's there's a couple of big things. So th- there's no particular topic for this. We're just going to go straight into Q&A for as long as we can. But uh, there is a little bit of news. I don't know how many of you have seen this, but... Um, let, let me let me just go ahead and whet your appetite for a minute. I'm only going to play about uh, 50 seconds of this, so don't go anywhere, but uh, check this out. And recently, I was on the hit uh, British radio program, Unbelievable, with Justin Brierley. This is Unbelievable, the program that brings you conversations that matter every week. And on that show, he mentioned a breakfast, I think a breakfast snack, that is popular over there across the pond that is called Weetabix. And it confused everyone. But but ultimately, you did have a genuine choice about whether you went for the granola or the Weetabix uh, for breakfast. Uh, do you guys have Weetabix so. in America? I, I don't know. I've never heard of that. That must okay. be a okay. <laughs> bad, bad, bad choice of, of breakfast. You had, had no some... choice of Weetabix. And so uh, I thought to myself, I'm kind of a guy who likes to consider himself cultured. And so I'd like to see what Weetabix is like. And I actually got a hold of some Weetabix. And in this video, what I'm going to do is try this out. Enjoy it. I mean, we can't choose. We either do enjoy it or we don't enjoy it. It's not like we do have a choice if determinism is true. So that was a video I made after I was on with Justin Brierley on Unbelievable debating Dan Barker. But Weetabix is in the news lately. So uh, I don't know if you all saw this. But uh, big news, everybody's been tagging me. Weetabix with baked beans. This is from BBC Politics. And it says, Weetabix with baked beans, a debate more divisive than, I guess they would say more divisive. A debate more divisive than Brexit. Commons leader Jacob Rees-Mogg calls the combo utterly disgusting, instead preferring Nanny's homemade marmalade on toast. Now, marmalade, I can do. I'm, uh, I can handle uh, marmalade. But anyway... 
I just wanted you guys to know that um, that when I did the thing on Weetabix, I, I did it in multiple ways. The video is there. I didn't link it in the description, but it's on the channel. And uh, there were some of you that said, no, you've got to make it with hot water. Some who said, how dare you make it with hot water? I've never even heard of that before. Some of you said, put more Weetabix. Some of you said, put honey. You, you had it all different ways. You all can't even figure out how to eat your own breakfast. Get the log out of your own eye before you come after the speck in this American eye. <laughs> mm. All right. So, uh, yeah, BH because new face. Beans of, on Weetabix. I, I would be happy to be the new face of Weetabix. How substantially, I've not had Weetabix, but how, how different is that from beans on toast? I mean, Weetabix Completely looks like, different. Weetabix looks like just it, a chunk of something. It is a Brand. chunk of something. It's not a chunk of toast or anything like toast. Oh. I mean, it's wheat-based, but that's right. about as close yeah, as you I get. Yeah, I mean, it's just... Basically, beans on toast is a thing, so I was wondering how, how different it Basically, would be. imagine taking styrofoam that somehow tastes a little bit like fish and biting into that, and basically you've got Weetabix. I'll be happy, Punchbowl Haircut, to be the new face of Weetabix so long as I get to be the one who decides the proper way to eat Weetabix, and all of the British people just have to just have to deal with the fact that I'm the voice and face of Weetabix. Um, all right, so... Uh, it's one of those here. Taste this. It's gross. Yeah. So think, right. So I mean, since we're boring our audience, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's get into it. So um, this is a Q and A day, and I already saw some questions. This coming is a, in. we didn't plan a topic because we didn't know if we were going to actually be able to do this or not. Yeah. Today. So yeah. it's so, always it's always cute. Hey, here's always a topic. They're doing a new study to try to figure out if atheists' brains are different than theists' brains. Haven't they done that? They've study? done that to death. So mm -hmm. there, they're doing it again. Haha, just go to Google and type atheism and look at the news tab and you'll see it. Honestly, atheists who may or may not have a different kind of brain than us says there's been some prominent videos out recently about the evil God hypothesis. Do you have any thoughts on this topic? Yes, Stephen Law raised it. I mean, it's been around, but Stephen Law raised it several years ago, I think in 2011 in the Reasonable Faith Tour in a debate against William Lane Craig. And uh, then uh, recently, Cosmic Skeptic raised it in a video, and then it was a subject of a debate on capturing Christianity, including Cosmic Skeptic. I thought it was very enjoyable. Uh, Dr. Pritchett and I talked a little bit about it. Um, basically, it depends on, like, if you're going to debate that, it would depend on the topic of the debate. For example, if the debate is, does God exist, and God is not described or defined to include omnibenevolence or something like that, um, you could say what William Lane Craig said in that debate with Stephen Law, which is basically, okay, you're here to present the position of atheism. If an evil God exists, that's theism, first of all. So <laughs> thanks for handing the debate over. So God exists. Yeah, yeah. So God exists, right? It's just, then we're just doing theology. What kind of God is it? Um, but beyond that, I think there is something to the notion of uh, evil as the privation of good. And we talked a little bit about this, Dr. Pritchett and I, like, I get that the theodicies can be switched around if you don't know what we're talking about here. It's the idea that how could you tell the difference if there was a good God or versus whether there was an evil God? And if you say, oh, well, uh, God allowed for so much evil because he wanted us to have free will or something. And, and if, you give, if you give man free will, there's going to be some uh, good, there's going to be good, right? You get the love freely given, but you also get some evils mixed in there. And that's just the way it is. Well, the, then someone who wants to s support the idea of an evil God would say, oh, hold on now a second, because the fact is, um, I could say God wanted the worst evils, and evils that are freely done 
are worse than than evils that are determined. And so, uh, but if you give man free will to get evil, you might you might have to live with the fact that some good is going to be done. So the idea is that these theodicies can go either way. Um, but so that that's one thing is the evil is the privation of good. Evil is parasitic on good. And that came up in the debate. And I think cosmic skeptics response was something like, well, yeah, but what if it is just the privation of good? But uh, but then the deeper criticism I think I have comes from Occam's razor, which is the notion that because of our moral inclinations that a God would know about, whether it's evil or good, would know about our moral inclinations and um, would not be surprised by those, you could say, well, he only gave those good inclinations to us to trick us even more. But that would be going a step further than I think what the evidence warrants. The evidence warrants, hey, I've got these moral inclinations. I would assume they reflect what the maker wants from me. And then you'd have to go a step beyond that and posit an unnecessary uh, premise to say, oh, but, but not only is that the way it seems, but this evil God wanted it to seem that way so that he could get, that's a step further than I think is necessary. So those are a couple of my thoughts. Yeah. On that. Oh yeah. I mean, you could, some people take it a step further and say everything about Christianity is true, but then you find out at the end that he was, it was all, he was going to send you to hell anyway, because it was all just a ruse or whatever. It's like, well, you can't do anything with that. That stinks. Next. You know, but even there, what do you do? You, you no longer believe all those things that actually occurred just because in the end you find out, well, we did really raise this Jesus from the dead and, and all that, but he didn't really die for years. Well, I mean, you, you did the best you can with what you had. So, but yeah, yeah. That, would, that would be a downer, but why believe that that would be the case? Yeah. Okay. Landon Matokos. Oh, I'm sure I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, Landon. Sorry. I want you to be a struggle to be as sincere as you can with yourself. Now, before I get to the rest of this, that is to parody what I said in my 10 questions video when I said, hey, be honest with yourself about this. And I want you to struggle to be really sincere about this. And let's not be in debate mode. Um, and many atheists were really thin skinned about this and said that I was being disingenuous because I was presuming that people would be insincere. Um, this is because I presume that um, certain people have not gone to speech class or something like that. When I'm talking to a group of Christians, I say, hey, now, now listen, be honest with yourself about this, or I want you to really try to get what I'm saying, or let's be really sincere here. Because that is, that is a speaker's tool for kind of perking the ears up of your yeah, audience. This is the assumption that you're never sincere, so right. engage in that struggle to manage some sort of sincerity, which... Bad luck, Landon. That's, right. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I, the idea is, hey, let me shake you out of just being an audience member for a moment and really think about yourself. And, and th th that's just a speaker's I tool. want you to struggle to be as sincere as you can because being sincere is a struggle for Braxton Hunter because he's the most dishonest Christian apologist on the planet Apparently. if you listen to clowns in the YouTube comments. Um, but, yeah, give him, give him a response that that opening segue does not warrant are you done with hunter's dilemma i cannot i can both okay so the hunter's dilemma i didn't name it came bertuzzi named it but the idea is that i noticed that many people who say i i'm i'm not a an atheist in the positive sense that i maintain the position that there is no god rather i just don't believe i, I just I, I lack a belief is kind of the way it's often characterized but yet some of those same people will say things like God is like Santa Claus or God is like fairies or God, you know, that sort of thing. And so the hundreds limit says, hold on a second. If you're going to say that God is like Santa Claus, 
then you can make those, then what you're going to have to do is pony up and defend the claim that God does not exist because you're comparing God to things that you actively believe that we all actively believe do not exist. Whereas um, if you're a lack of belief sort of an atheist, we shouldn't expect to hear you comparing God to Santa Claus because then you're making a positive claim indirectly. So uh, what he says in response to this is, I can both not believe in a God, okay, so that's like a lack theist position, and believe there is no God, two propositions, not confidence meters. That's fine. I don't remember anyone saying you couldn't. We're talking about the position you take, what the, the position you're going to maintain. If you're going to make, and that's going to be one or the other, either you maintain the position that there is no God, or you maintain the position that you don't know whether there's a God. But either way, the hundred dilemma points out that you have to defend a claim. Right. And here's the, here's the, now let me help. I'm going to go the extra mile to make this a better criticism. I think the the answer that most people give that I think actually is, is, um, seems to have some teeth on its people when they first hear it is, well, hold on a second. This is a, this is like, um, an equivocation, although they're making the equivocation, not me. The equivoc the, the claim is, hold on. Uh, I can be a lack theist with respect to some God in general, like deism or something, but I can, I can actively disbelieve in the Christian God or some other God that's, that's defined. Uh, that was the basis of several video responses made to me. But that, of course, doesn't resolve it either. You're talking about two different God concepts there, right? The God of the philosophers, some nondescript God, and say the Christian God. Okay, then you just run the dilemma twice. Once on the Christian God, and, and uh, you can say, if, you if you're maintaining the position that God does not exist, feel free to compare the Christian God to Santa Claus or whatever other blasphemous thing you want to say. But then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to pony up and defend that claim. Um, but if you're talking about the God of the philosophers, we run the hunter's limit again, and we shouldn't expect to hear you comparing that God to Santa Claus. If you are saying that you lack a belief because you don't lack a belief about Santa Claus, despite how many people might want to say they do. And that it may really be that Santa Claus does exist and they really are just not sure about it. So, um, so that is the answer to that. No, I'm not done with hunter's limit. In fact, even just this morning, I was emailing someone with someone who was telling me that, that they have this damning criticism of the hunter's dilemma. And I'm and and I, I'm, maybe I've heard it, but the criticism I've heard so far, I, I don't see a problem. And there are a number of atheists who say, "Yeah, right, it's that, right." That, what that means is I don't like the hunter's dilemma because it bothers me. That's all that that amounts to. That's what damning criticism means. Is I don't like it. Yeah, why be done with something that just keeps on giving? It's like the Kalam. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Braxton Hunter. True idea apologetic says most horrible sound in serial ever. Well, you might be able to find someone. In fact, if you go to the Weedabix website, yes, there's a website, and you can put in your zip code, uh, True Idea Apologetics, and and see where it is around you, near you. I found it at one of our at one of our local. Um, Adam, places. I did not go buy that stuff, even though he's eating it. I, it's he didn't. What you don't see on the camera is him. What he talks to me about, and he's like, it's really overall just not something very good. So why would I? Why would I eat something that, hey, try this. It's gross. You like all kinds of stuff that I don't like, though. You might like it. Jose says, have you guys read Clay Jones' book, Why Does God Allow Evil? Such a great book on the problem of evil. I haven't read it. I, I met Clay Jones and spoke with him, and we both spoke together at the uh, Rethinking Hell conference in November, but, but I haven't read the book, sad to say. It is assigned reading in our undergraduate problem of evil class. Did you have to read it huh? at Biola? Did you have no, to it, it wasn't written oh, okay. when I was at Biola, but... 
um, he was my professor for that class and is a great professor. And I'm sorry to see him be leaving Biola at the end of the year. Um, Punchbowl Haircut wants to know, Trinity Radio, who is Pritchett's favorite Backstreet Boy? Can uh, you, do you know the Backstreet Boy? Do you know the li- Can you list I them? don't know their... I don't know their names. Like, I used to, I thought. Um, golly, what was that? Of course, I get them confused with NSYNC, and the only NSYNC member I know is Justin Timberlake, by name, that I can mm-hmm. recall. But I don't know. I... I'm not the anti-boy band person. It's disposable music. Some of their songs, I mean, if they're catchy, fine. I don't care. I don't know which uh, uh, which one would be my favorite because I, I don't I don't I wouldn't know. I did watch a video a couple of years ago where they did a song with uh, the new kids on the block, where they came in dressed like a bunch of old men. Do you ever see that video? I thought it was great. Yeah. I thought it's like way to go because the guy from a uh, Oh, what was that? What's that? Blue Bloods. The the new kid that's in Blue Bloods, he's still singing and dancing in, what, his early 50s? So way to go. All right. Pritchett, how can God use an evil ruler like Hitler? How can God use an evil, the same way he can use an evil ruler like Pharaoh, for instance? So with Pharaoh... Uh, he used Pharaoh to set up in order to knock down in such a way that even hundreds of years later, the nations around him knew uh, to fear the God of Israel. So I don't know how. I just know that God can. Yeah, in fact, this is a kind of question that's like when you answer it, you're going to sound bad in any way you try to answer it, like, Uh, because it's going to sound disrespectful to someone. And, of course, our hearts go out to the 6 million-plus Jews who were killed during the Holocaust. And um, I've been to the Holocaust Museum in uh, Jerusalem and also in D.C., and it's it's difficult to stomach, but it's one of those things that you stomach through because it's the least you can do is to witness history and learn from it, given the fact that these people paid with their lives. So we want to be very respectful of those things, but— the idea that God couldn't use Hitler. I mean, uh, there are many uh, goods that... So our position is not that God makes the evil happen, but that God can redeem things out of the evil and turn them for good. And there are many goods, things that God has brought out, many stories of inspiration, many um, stories of survival, uh, the, the human spirit, the uh, good conquering evil. There are many things that come out of that. Um, I would never be the one who could make the call about whether a particular good that comes out of something like as horrific as that is like, quote unquote, worth it. But then I'm not God, so it's not my business to make those kind of calls. Right. Um, Let's see. Trinity Radio. What do you think of Dr. John Walton's interpretation of Genesis 1 through 11? I more or less like it. Uh, You know, like anything, you have certain quibbles with this or that. But overall, I, the gist of where it's going and certainly the methodology, uh, I like it. Yeah, Dr. Pritchett and I have argued about this quite a bit. and uh, You don't like functional ontology and functional creation as opposed to material creation. You th- you take a, you're fine with a both and, right? Yeah, I mean, I, but see, he was just on, you ought to see it, Pritchett, he was just on Eli Ayala's channel, Revealed Apologetics. Eli said he called the number that he found for John Walton, and like John Walton just answered the phone. And so uh, he had him on the show, and, and I thought it was a really great interview. I really enjoyed it. I thought Eli pushed back on some moments um, in a way that 
it's not that Dr. Walton didn't have answers, but I thought that it revealed that, that this isn't necessarily yeah, as clean you know, as you want it to be. Uh, but by the way, let's just explain that John Walton's position is basically that Genesis chapter one is, um, and maybe even more than just chapter one, but specifically chapter one is like a temple dedication ceremony that reflects things that happen with uh, the the, de- the uh, ceremonial uh, opening of the temple sort of thing. And that what you have there is a literary framework in which if you were standing there now, I hope I'm not straw manning this. If I am, please forgive me, and someone in the chat can tell me. But the notion is that if you were standing there during the six days of creation, you wouldn't necessarily see anything happen. Because the idea is not that God is creating in the material sense, that he's bringing something into existence that wasn't in existence before, say, the birds or whatever else. But what he's doing instead is he is um, uh, declaring their function. Much like, and here's an example, like there may be someone who builds a home, uh, but then there's someone who makes that their home. Well, they build a. It's a different. It's a house home thing. You know? Yeah, that's the example. Uh, well, that's and, the example you just and, gave. And there's data in the ancient world where existence was tied to function and a name equals existing. So that's that's playing off off of, uh, uh, of that kind of functional ontology that they had about things existing as as something meaningful so that's that's how uh he did he says the uh, author moses was was doing that uh writing that out what god was doing was was giving a name and a function so i remain unconvinced yeah. about it but jonathan buys it well i know i buy a lot of it i'm fine i'm fine with it be committal you buy it why why do i have to com- commit to <laughs> ideas about genesis one i I don't. I, I'm fine with it. I, I think it makes the most sense to me. But it's like I'm not. I'm not like the theological flag planter on everything. That's so there is a church in Manchester, UK that has heavy metal music for worship music. What do you think about having unorthodox music genres as worship music in churches? The thing about it is, any music genre is going to be unorthodox compared to what came before it at any particular point. So while the idea of having heavy metal music for my worship music makes me want to barf into a bucket, the reality is I can't say as worship music, but the fact is I can't say that that's wrong. No, I mean, well, the kind of worship music that we play at our church, it's, it's a little bit, it's increase like the tempo play. and increase the distortion le- pedal or whatever turn you know mix in more distortion and it's the I don't know these are these are matters of degree here I mean to someone like your dad our worship now my dad might might worship. have a bigger problem <laughs> yeah but but your dad doesn't necessarily but he wouldn't have a principled problem with it yeah because he doesn't have a principle I mean he, he he doesn't care for our kind of worship music. I don't even think I care for our kind of worship music. At okay. Uh, so Shays, metal would be just as good as me as this Caleb type stuff, the contemporary Christian stuff that we listen. I, I like hymns and I like there to be one. And I want you to skip the second and third verse, especially the third verse, and then get to the sermon. Yep. So Chase Clement says, Worship is not just Hi guys, part. atheist and follower here. Wanted to ask about a recent apologetics tactics, tactic I'm calling if-ism, i.e. if the Christian God were real, but, and then he has another part to this, I don't find this compelling as it could be used for any deity. Can you explain why you use it? Okay, well, it depends on the context. So, for example, you may be thinking of the video I released this week where we were, where I was responding to uh, 
uh, portion of Graham Oppie's book, Arguing About Gods, in which we're not talking about specifically the Christian God there, although we're talking about a God that is certainly consistent with um, the Christian God. And the idea is the like someone bringing an argument from evil might say there is no good that came out of this particular instance of evil, like the Holocaust, for example. Okay. And we may not be able. So what, what someone could say in such a case is, well, if a God does exist, uh, if a benevolent God does exist, he would bring about some good out of that. And you're not in a position to know whether or not that would be the case or not. What's happening there is where if ism as you're raising, it could be used is if someone is, if someone, some atheist is raising a challenge to God or to the Christian God or to any particular God, depending on the context, then what that is, is what's called a philosophical defeater. You're saying it can't be the case that X. And I'm saying, I don't know if the answer is X, Y, or Z, but you're saying it can't be X. Here's a way that it could be X. I don't know if this is right or not, but this is certainly a way that it could be X and there's nothing contradictory about it. And I'll give the example that I've given two or three times just here lately, where if Jonathan Pritchett and I and you, Chase, were in the same room at the same time and there were no windows in that room and Jonathan leaves and comes back an hour later after lunch and he's dripping wet and you say the only explanation is he got into a shower with his clothes on. I don't know whether he got into the shower with his clothes on, but here's some if-isms for you. Uh, he could be wet like that if he fell into a pond or if he got caught in a rainstorm or something like that. Um, that's where the if-ism comes in. It's not saying, here's why I believe, because if this. It's in a context of someone challenging the Christian faith, and you're saying, well, it could be so if this is the case, so your, your argument yeah, doesn't go through. A, it's just a rhetorical way of saying, if we grant the Christian God. Right. If, yeah. if, if you and I, for the sake of argument kind of thing, because you don't if you're an atheist, you don't believe in the Christian. But we're trying to say if it were the case, it's true for the sake of argument. You know, it's like saying if uh, we Bix was the best breakfast for the sake of argument. Right. You would like to have it with. And I would not want water. to grant that. But right. I, for the sake of argument. Right. So, right, but so we're, I don't, I don't a, understand why it's a problem. Plus, in abductive reasoning, you do this all the time. You say, uh, okay, what would we expect given this? So, like, if there's no God, what would we expect to see in the world? Okay, yeah. And one might say, well, evil and um, a process it, of evolution. Weedabix didn't uh, have a fish taste to des- it. Would more people yeah. eat it? Design, I mean, you know, hold on, design, would you'd have what are examples of bad design, those kind of things, people would point to that stuff. Well, what would the world look like if there was a God? And you hypothesize to run those kind of mental experiments to see. So there's a number of reasons why you might use if-isms. Go ahead, Pritchett. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Whether or not someone finds it compelling is autobiography. But I'm sure uh, the questioner himself says, let's suppose for the sake of argument, X. Everyone does that. If he doesn't, uh, or he shouldn't, if he doesn't find it compelling for others to do if-ism, don't, don't, don't ever say for the sake of argument to try to convince somebody who's challenging your position. You know, okay. But I, I think that's, that takes away uh, a, a, a helpful tool to explain what you believe that you want someone else to understand so don't knock it, and you know, because you might find yourself having to engage in the same kind of thing with a with Weetabix instead of the Christian God. So yeah. if Weetabix didn't taste like fish, what do you? you s- oh, Trevin Norris says, what do you say to the folks that deny the Exodus is a historical event, saying there's no evidence of Egyptian slave trade? Well, 
that may or may not, depending how it's framed, be a valid uh, like objection to the event having happened. Um, I don't have any evidence that uh, Jonathan went to Newburgh, the next city over yesterday, but that doesn't that doesn't tell me that it didn't happen. You would have to demonstrate that we would that we would expect to see this many thousands years later certain kinds of evidence and maybe someone could put that claim together. So I'm not sure that in principle, that's uh, a, a relevant objection. Second, I, I I'm not an expert in this realm, but I do know that there are certain like uh, you might not really like, if we're talking about the stories that Egyptians tell with hieroglyphics about their own culture and all that, we might not expect them to brag about the time that they were thwarted by the God of Israel you know, or something. And all these Jews escaped or something. Also, uh, uh, Michael Jones is putting together a video on that very issue that'll be out soon. Yeah. And I, he's done more of a research on that than I have. So I would just point you in that direction. Bridget. I have nothing. I, of course, it's always important to temper claims, right? I always hear, hear people say there's no evidence for this, that, or the other. And then somebody produces it. So what you say is there's not compelling evidence or there's not convincing evidence or there's not sufficient evidence or all that. But just when somebody gives you a throwaway line that there, there's no evidence that Weetabix tastes like fish, that's all in Braxton's head. It and might then, be. Then you find 50 other people that think that this disgusting cereal brand yeah. tastes like fish too or has a fishy aftertaste or something. And they're like, well... Yeah, but I mean, so it's just a, that's just a rhetorical way of speaking. If you don't know anything about a subject, you just want to be as hyperbolic as possible. I get that. But really, people should temper their claims. That's all I want. Yeah, and in fact, that I and my daughter both tasted fish in it, that is some evidence. Yeah. Even if it's not compelling enough. Because to you lose you. automatically when you make the strongest argument, right? Um, I, I have to point point this out you know to people all the time when they make claims like because the second you say there's not a shred of evidence and then you produce one piece of evidence even if it's not even that yeah, great it's too easy to shoot you it down. Do, yeah it's too easy to shoot it down and guess what there is evidence for the exodus and you're not going to like this one bit if you're an atheist but the old testament account of the exodus is evidence of the exodus even if you don't think it's enough to convince you or you think it's bad evidence right. um okay because uh, let me get because i've said this before like the way I look at evidence, evidence is a reason to believe something is true. Now, if a man comes to me and says that a UFO landed at a stadium in another city, uh, and I haven't, I've not heard anything else about it except this one guy tells me and I don't know anything about this guy or whether he's trustworthy. Do I have evidence that a UFO landed? Actually, I think I do. I have one guy who told me that is one reason to believe it that I didn't have before. Now, it's not nearly enough to convince me at all. But if 500 people came to me and they were doctors, lawyers, you know, all kinds of people came to me and said they saw it too. Have I got evidence? Yeah, I think I do. Do I have more evidence than I have with one guy? Yes. Well, that means I did have evidence with one guy. I just have a lot more now. So, so when you think about reasons to believe something that way, and I know people object to that, the truth is if, if the Bible tells me there was an exodus, that is some evidence for it. Even if it's not enough that you think it should convince anybody. Um, do you believe in sola scriptura? If so, what are your main reasons why, and what are some resources you recommend on the subject on our main authority as Christians, Jonathan? No. So I have no, I don't believe in sola scriptura. I believe in prima scriptura. So in that sense, I do think it is our main authority by which we test all authority. And I'm not talking about, I know, I know some people out there, they want, I don't believe in solo scripture. I believe in sola. We have lesser authority. I, I know the difference. 
But my thing is, I think that, that, that God is our primary authority. I think that he speaks more than just in his word. I think that sola scriptura is not a historical position past the Reformation. I don't think it holds up because you have to have authoritative divine revelation given by the Holy Spirit to the church to tell you what the canon is. So we can say whatever we want to about scripture, but scripture is a canon, Okay, the canon of Scripture, and Scripture itself does not have a table of contents to tell you what the Scripture is. That is the canon, and I think that you have to affirm independent, authoritative, divine revelation from the Spirit given to the Church to even affirm the canon of Scripture, to get a canon, what the canon is. I think God revealed that to his people. I think that's authoritative, and so I just based on that alone, nobody— really affirms sola scriptura if you affirm a canon. Not scripture, the canon of scripture. So I don't really find uh, sola scriptura as a way I want to discuss my my view uh, of that, because I, I think scripture is the primary source of divine revelation by which you test all other uh, forms of revelation, because I'm not a cessationist, and it's the primary, you know, and it's it, 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 it it's the prime way that you test any sort of claims, and by which you judge all lesser authorities or claims of equal authority. So it's not like I'm uh, going to go think that the Pope speaks eth- uh, ex cathedra or anything else like that. I just think that God can speak. I think that he still speaks, and I think that um, he has spoken throughout church history, and one of the ways that he did was he guided the church to his uh, canon of Scripture. All right. Um, and Lane's the Bible doesn't Tech teach it says, either, so there's that. You get to partner with one hard scientist in a debate. Well, you, you didn't choose? answer the question. He said, guys, do you? Do you believe in— I agree with everything you just said. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's if, if someone means by sola scriptura merely that— that's my ultimate <coughs> authority for specifics, then, and my ultimate authority that I judge everything else by, theologically. Then, yeah, then I'm, I believe in sola scriptura. But uh, you would agree with it on that grounds. I agree with everything you just said. Yeah, the the primal, the the prime. Mm-hmm. But I I don't think it's the soul because I think that God can issue revelation independent of scripture that just has to be tested by scripture. Right. <clears throat> you get to partner with a hard scientist in a debate. Who do you choose? Well, I think it would depend on the topic of the debate, and I would probably then have to research who is the right hard scientist to to partner with. Um, so there's the answer to that. Uh, what is your What are your opinions about finding naturally occurring events to explain biblical miracles, <coughs> and what do you think that does to miracle claims in general? What about Elijah's altar? So I, th- I take you to be asking us something like, what if we found out that actually there was a naturally occurring uh, lightning storm that happened near the place where it was the, an uh, earthquake the, that opened and, up and swallowed them at Cor- right or or right when, when uh, the when the priests put their feet into the water to carry the ark of the covenant I have across no the Jordan with River God using the water phenomenon. was dammed up naturally right. because there are occurring mudslides in the Jordan. But what about the River? timing and then that to yeah it? That's, that's the thing yeah like I don't I don't like okay here's all a, all all of these miraculous events seem to be a manipulation of physical phenomena that that may I actually have. Another explanation that God used the tectonic plates to shift at a particular moment at a particular time to swallow up a group of rebellious people. What I'm thinking is, no, that's not a coincidence, you know. Uh, so that to me, what do, 
I like to define miracle just as a demonstration of a feat of strength, not necessarily some sort of supernatural, overnatural kind of distinction, which I reject as just post-enlightenment thinking anyway. It's just, you know, God can manipulate all kinds of means to accomplish his purposes that seem very strange. Like, if I got zapped by a lightning bolt after saying something utterly blasphemous, some people are going to just foul that off as a coincidence, but, you know, some pe- Braxton's... Sure I not. won't. You look around for lightning bolts all the time for things that you shouldn't look for lightning bolts over, so... So to get to give you a really obvious example of what I think is like when when Jesus cures or heals the man with the withered hand, I don't doubt that if we could see that on like a cellular level, there might be cell regrowth and um, we would see all kinds of physical things happening. Um, I'm even open to the notion that, like, say, with the ground opening up and swallowing Korah and his family in the Old Testament, it, 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 what if God set up the universe with such an incredible amount of wisdom and foresight that he set it up such that that would be the way things seem to naturally go? It's the timing of it. It's not how he did it. It's when he did it and the, uh, the context and all those kind of things. That's, that's kind of how we answer that. Okay, yeah. um, let's, let's move on here. I realize there are a number of super chats. I'm, I'm going to get to them. Thank you so much. We, we're so grateful. Yeah. Um, if God created everything out of ex nihilo, like from nothing, then it logically follows there was at one point nothing but God and there was no place for him to be. Where was he? So um, if there was no place for him to be. There's no where for him to be. So he was nowhere, he just was. But he also wasn't nowhere in the colloquial sense. Yeah, in the sense that he exists, sans all created uh, contiguous universe. It's like to to take the time thing, um, like I wouldn't say there was was one point uh, nothing but God, if we mean a point in time or a point in space. It's kind of like when uh, Matt Dillahunty has said in the past, if you're saying that God exists outside of time, are you saying that God exists for like zero seconds? No. <laughs> zero seconds is a temporal term. The same could be said about spatial terms. Yeah. It's not that God exists for zero seconds or God doesn't exist anywhere. It's that those are the wrong ways to think about sans, space, and time. You say, well, what is, what is it like for something to be timeless and spaceless? I don't know, and neither does anybody else, but philosophers that don't buy... Uh, theism might still posit like an amorphous time and like a uh, go back and watch the video I responded to Joe Schmidt about question five in the 10 questions video, which by the way, the 10 questions is a playlist now where we have the 10 questions video and then our responses to the what atheists said in the 10 questions. Um, so I don't know if that answered your question, but I think it's the right answer. All right. Um, let's see what else we have here. Trinity Radio, I've heard atheists claim that all beliefs require evidence, which leads me to assume that those atheists are evidentialists. What are your thoughts on evidentialism? Well, I'm an evidentialist in the sense that I uh, I think that evidence can uh, lead to Answer beliefs. And I actually think that, um, that most of what we believe does uh, uh, land on some kind of an evidence. So, for example, people that uh, like the, the little the little old man or the little lady that go to church and they were in church long before Christian apologetics was ever a thing. And so they, they may not even think about why they believe they just this is what I was raised with. OK, well, that you were raised with this and that other people who you take to be authorities 
told you that this was true is not believing on no basis of nothing. Like they believe on the basis of something. They believe on the basis that someone told them this. So I do think we all trace most of the things that we believe back to some sort of evidence. However, um, I also think uh, that there are certain things that are axiomatic that we just kind of believe that that are properly basic to us or axiomatic such that we have to just believe that they're so. So um, the notion that the universe wasn't created five minutes ago with all of and my brain with all the memories and all that falsely put in there, I can't prove that. I don't have any evidence to demonstrate that, but I don't believe it. I believe that the world is generally as it appears to me, um, Kant being taken into account still there. And I believe that you're a real person and that there are other minds and that, and that I'm not the only person. Um, this solipsism isn't the case. I, I believe those things. I don't have evidence. I think there are things at base that we just kind of have to accept. But from there, I think we build out based on evidential things for the most part. So that's kind of um, where I'm where I'm at on that. I don't know if that answers anything, but uh, I see they're playing a guitar. I'm also a guitar player. Welcome. Okay, let's see. What are your thoughts on the news about Ravi Zacharias that came out today? So uh, this is a good thing to answer here. I, I honestly am brokenhearted about it. It's sad. It seems that it's true um, that he was involved in um, uh, sexual improprieties. And I'm glad that we Christians, uh, Christians generally seem to have been calling him out on this, um, maybe far too late. Maybe there were many people that defended him um, when perhaps they shouldn't have been so quick to defend. But um, it breaks my heart. I think we should pray for his family and the families of those and those people themselves who were uh, victimized by Ravi Zacharias. And so I I think um, I think they should be in our prayers because they didn't deserve that. And and I hate it. Um, another thing that I want to say about that is and I, I didn't like think this through. I thought about making a video about it soon, but I, you just asked. So I thought I need to answer. Um, I think it's important to note that there are still true things and true ideas and concepts that he taught. And the fact that he has done these things certainly mars uh, that message for a lot of people. But if we're going to be logical thinkers here, we should remember that. If a horrible, if a person who does horrible things says true things, the true things that that person said are still true things. And if you're a person out there who became a Christian under Ravi's ministry, or you're a person who reached some deeper spiritual insight uh, via Ravi's ministry, then um, that's still legitimate. If if the ideas were legitimate, and uh, it's a sad thing that this puts a black eye on the church, but those were evil things that were done, and we don't defend that so um that's kind of what i want to say about that and how i answer that but yeah and if you are one of those people trying to put a best spin on it stop yeah yep there are a lot of people who do horrible things who bear the name of christ unfortunately don't be one of them stop it um super chat let's see here's a super chat from ae numa Thank you so much. Have you read up on climate change since the finest Dillahunty vid? Since the finest Dillahunty vid. The pandemic has really opened my mind to this and to the idea of veganism. Okay, Pritchett's going to have a completely different take on this than me. I don't have any principled reason to deny climate. uh, Well, everybody agrees in climate change, but the... uh, 
quote unquote intended or viewed as liberal understanding of climate change. Um, I, I don't have any reason to doubt that I'm not a scientist and I don't like it when political issues become or when issues that are not political become politicized. And so currently I'm, I'm happy to just go with the, with the best science, the prevailing science on that issue. I know that upsets a lot of the people that are watching right now and sorry. Um, I, I don't understand. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't, I'm not an authority on that. And for veganism, I'm going to say that uh, I showed Pritchett. I made Pritchett watch a couple of videos on this, but I haven't done any reading on it and I haven't done a whole lot of reflecting on it, but there were a couple of uh, Alex O'Connor videos that came out recently that made me really think through uh, how we handle meat products. But you ate steak anyway. I don't have a principled objection to the notion of eating meat, but the way we handle it, and this is where he would disagree with me still, but like the way we do it, I, I think could be um, far too extra. It, could, it may be far too extravagant. It could be done better yeah. and uh, maybe unnecessarily cruel to animals. I'm not the, I'm not like some expert on this. I'm just telling you, did I sense some conviction? Yeah. Watching an Alex O'Connor video. My, my take on climate change, like you said, uh, yeah, climate's change. Uh, my take is I, I, I think there are certain things that do contribute to the environment getting worse. And I don't buy into the alarmist rhetoric about it. Um, I, I think that I, I, from what little I've looked at, there is a problem uh, with that. It is not as dire as it's hyped up to be. So we do things like, in fact, we, we, you know, believe it or not, air is cleaner now uh, and water is cleaner now in most places in the United States, for example, than it was 40, 50 years ago. That's fantastic. And I think that we should do more of that. But where I, I get a little troubled by it is let's extort people for doing what they're going to do anyway, because no one's going to stop doing it. So I'm all for cleaner sources of energy, um, but until somebody buys me an electric car, don't make gas more expensive for me to get to work and to take my family to a restaurant or anything just because you think that the sky is going to fall tomorrow when there's no evidence that it is. That's, that's the best I can tell. The alarmists out there on climate change make it worse for... Uh, most people, I think, would, could be convinced that there is something going on here. We need to do what we can to not exacerbate it. But that conversation always gets buried, you know, sane conversations with the Ted Danson type predictions that y'all probably don't even remember because y'all are way younger, many of you. Uh, but we've heard these doomsday environmental predictions so much. They're like, it, it's the new, it's the new, uh, crazy dispensationalist prophecy gurus, right? And and so naturally you want to scoff at it. And I do. But another sad thing is that when I do scoff at that, people think, oh, well, you're a climate change denier. Well, no, I'm not that either. But I'd rather have sane conversations. But sadly, when these things become politicized, it's hard to have uh, sane conversations. As far as veganism goes, look, I have chickens in my backyard, right? I eat farm fresh eggs and I'm not going to stop. Uh, I understand the principled objections to the inhumane treatment of 
uh, chickens at a Tyson plant, right? But I, I'm still going to... I'm not going to eat my chickens, but I am going to go buy a, a bag of Tyson, or not, well, it's really the Kroger brand, uh, of frozen chicken breasts. And I'm also going to eat a vegan meal if it tastes good. I'm not opposed to that either. But as far as becoming a vegan because of those things, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stop eating meat, and I'm not going to try to fool myself into thinking I would because of what they do at the Tyson chicken. Place. I might. So pray for me that right. God guides me in that. And if you're an atheist, pray to the spaghetti. And if you want to become a vegan, fantastic. That's You know, there's a lot of good vegan dishes out there, and I don't stick my nose up at it. I eat that too. I just, you know, I leave my options open to eat uh, whatever tastes good off the menu. So, And if you're an atheist, you can pray to the flying spaghetti monster for me. All right, the church split says, I was told recently by an atheist that the earliest gospels don't have the resurrection event. Well, earliest Gospels, they're talking about Mark. But the short ending of Mark shows an empty tomb. Thoughts that doesn't just show an empty tomb. Or maybe Q. Verse 6 says that he was raised. Uh, Mark 16, verse 6. But he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See, here's the place where they laid him. The Short, the actual ending of Mark, as most people understand, it goes down to verse 8. Yeah. So it does include a resurrection. And some people say, oh, he was raised. Maybe that means they raised him up and carried him off somewhere else. No, no, that's not. Are you kidding? Right, no. because you, no. you also have to remember that you, also, you have Christian charisma and tradition and epistles prior to that that explain what they were actually stating. Yeah. was the case about Jesus. First Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, and possibly including 8. And it's uh, it dead, buried, raised, just like in Mark so, 16, raised. And the idea that you say he was crucified or he was buried and then raised, you no long, just like N.T. Wright says, you no more need to specify bodily than I would need to say I ran down the street and specify on my feet. Yeah, it's really, yeah, it's really a dead end because one of the things people want to do is they want to, Push the Gospels out to the latest days possible. Not 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 all uh, skeptics and critics, but but many want to push the date out as late as possible, and then attack the Gospels and its central claim, as if there isn't a body of Christian literature uh, that doesn't give the Christian claim that was written prior to that. So it's really just a dead end argument. Now you can you can still make criticisms that that there are differences in these gospel accounts that were written decades later, and that calls that into question. But as far as the claim of of the Christian community prior to the time that the gospels were written, they all believed in a bodily resurrection. So that's kind of uh, Iron Lion says. Could you explain again the difference between a Molinism view of time versus the eternal now view of time? So the eternal now, as I understand it, is more like a B theory of time, which says that the past is real, the future is real. Um, and now is real. So like, um, whereas the, the A theory of time set, which is what I affirm and Pritchett affirms, says the past did exist, the future will exist, but what exists is right now. Right. So 1967 doesn't exist out there somewhere. And, okay, it did exist, yeah. but it's gone now. Now, on Molinism, you can have an A theory of time. I think where hairs get crossed here is if God is aware of, what's gonna, of what is going to happen in the physical universe and of what could have happened in other possible universes, if he had created that way, then doesn't that seem a little bit like the timelines are all already strung out and he's just choosing among them. But that's to confuse God's knowledge of what will happen versus it actually having already happened in all these different universes. So um, on, we hold to an A theory of time, 
Uh, all that exists is what's currently happening. The past did exist. The future will exist. What exists is right now. Um, whereas God just simply is aware of what happens in all possible universes at any point in their timeline. But those timelines don't exist yet. God just knows them because he has omniscience. Hope that helps. Um, and I like your thumbnail. That's great. I love lions. Lions are Hey, we coolest. got a question about dating. <coughs> yeah. Um, good. More questions like this. Things that we don't really have. Can a Christian date a good-hearted woman, and I'm assuming you mean a non-Christian woman, and discuss truth slash Christianity while dating, and just see where it goes, but not enter into an intimate relationship? Well, Braxton, how do you want to answer that one? We've answered no, this one he before. Shouldn't. He, sh he or she shouldn't do that. Right. But you know what? You know what's the problem? If you go back into the Trinity archives of Trinity Radio, what you're going to find is we have example after example. After we say, no, you probably shouldn't date a non-Christian, even if you don't intend to be intimate. And if that's the case, why are you spending money? But let's put that aside. Um, even if you're dating a Christian person that you have no intent to pursue, why are you wasting your money? Um, but you're going to say there are examples where people did it. We're missionary. We, we gave so many examples of missionary dating that it, it almost refuted our. our no, it doesn't. I'm not a pragmatist. Right. Just because something happens to work out doesn't mean that's the way it was supposed to go. But I mean, I'm just saying that it, it almost sounded like we yeah. were yeah, unconvincing because we had everybody so many check out Daniel Apologetics channel. Brax, yeah. it was great having you on to talk about the hundreds of limits. Still love it. Good. It still stands as far as I can tell. But no, you and to, you shouldn't date you shouldn't date a non-Christian even mm -hmm. if you have no intent on on becoming intimate with that person. That just you know, not saying it can't work out, but what's your favorite version of the ontological argument? The one that Plantinga lays out in God, Freedom, and Evil is my favorite. Uh, that is what I will say the best version of the ontological argument. My favorite is still Anselm's. There's a, I gotta make the difference there. Elizabeth Maine says, watching this while playing Cold War Zombies, am I a bad Christian? No, but you know what? Uh, my understanding is now that 40% of gamers are women, so you represent a rising number of female gamers, although um, I have to wonder how much uh, they're including like Farmville and Candy Crush in that too, because those people are technically gamers, but it, I don't know. It feels like a, feels like a more of a dude thing, but... Um, I love when I am playing PUBG and there's girls on the on the game because they're usually better than the guys. I, one, 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 Elizabeth, one thing I've noticed about a lot of people who listen or YouTube, like people who follow a bunch of Christian YouTube channels or atheist YouTube, what I found that we all have in common is that we're always doing this while doing something else. Yeah, and <laughs> I do it while playing games too. And you do it while walking around in circles yeah. at, uh, at your condo yep. and whatever else, yeah. Lots and it helps memory because you remember what well, you'll remember, Elizabeth, is you'll remember me responding to this question when you shot some zombie or something. when you shot that particular zombie that had the blonde hair or whatever. Right. OK. <laughs> uh, OK, Ryan, do you guys hold to an earlier late date for Revelation? I early? lean early. I'm early. with Steve Gregg on this. I lean early. Um, You're skipping all kinds of questions. No, I'm not. Uh, here's a super chat. Thank you so much, Jeremy Scott to Spain. I know Jeremy. I think Jeremy was at the Rethinking Hell conference with me. If it's the Jeremy I'm thinking Somebody of. asked us what our views on hell were, and I think we skipped that. Do you think love is possible in a strictly deterministic worldview? I am thinking about doing a video on this concept. Thanks, guys. Yeah, there is a guy uh, that did. A, go to, the, go to um, Freethinking Ministries. 
like Google Free Thinking Ministries, Tim Stratton's site. And there was a guy, I can almost remember his name, who wrote a paper on that or an article on that issue. No, I think the I think it's possible you could have love in a deterministic yeah, worldview. It just loses its romance. Yeah, it's it's the highest expression of love I think is is involves libertarian freedom. As far as somebody asked what our views on hell were, and I'm I'm I, I haven't budged since my uh, rethinking hell presentation where I sit on that fence. All right. I I lean I I've seen more and more reason. What I said at the uh, Rethinking Hell conference is, I said, I'm very hospitable to, this is all you're going to get out of me right now because I'm still thinking things through, but I, I'm very hospitable to um, the CI position. But um, it's so important that my answer is always point to Jesus, Mark chapter 9. Jesus said it, it, Gehenna, which is what we're taking to be after the judgment hell, not Hades, not Sheol, not Tartarus, but uh, Gehenna. And he says... Cut off your arm not to go there. Cut off your leg not to go there. Gouge out your eye not to go there where the flame doesn't die and the worm doesn't die and all that. No one's going to no one's gonna fault worm you for pointing to Jesus and you say, hey, look, here's what Jesus says. Now, is that imagery? Could be. Um, is that talking about a, a literal, literal, never dying, never ending thing? Maybe. But here's the thing. Whatever it is, it's bad. You don't want to go there. Right. Uh, okay. Let's see. I am Eastern Orthodox. Wait, somebody said something about I am Eastern Orthodox. Was it a question? No, I just I like okay. Eastern Orthodox because of the old hymns and reverence to them. I, I was just reading that out loud. I thought that was interesting. But you know, uh, I like I don't like I don't freak out about people going to Eastern Orthodox or Catholic, whatever. That's other people. Other other shows will tell <clears throat> you that you know those are bad. If you're Catholic, that's bad. If you're if you're uh, Eastern Orthodox, that's bad. And you worship Mary and you worship little icons and all. But that's not this shit. All right. Uh, Ivan J says, in both of your opinions, having debated atheists in the past, what motivates atheists to try and debunk Christianity? What's their end goal? What do they hope to gain? Well, uh, according to what they say, you'll get a variety of answers. Some will just say that's something they enjoy doing. They're interested by it. Some say they would like to be convinced. And so they're uh, trying to hear the best. Uh, some will say that uh, religion, uh, specifically evangelical Christianity stands behind political movements that they think are bad. And so they want to debate it to try and put an end to that. Um, there's, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of answers they'll give. Um, and I think some of those are probably are the reasons. Yeah. I mean, give. if there, there's a, Christians are out there making claims about the nature of reality. Some of them, their feelings are hurt because yeah. uh, no, their family was mean to them, or they thought their family was yeah, mean to them. Yeah, some of them are ex-grinders, and now they're and now they're ticked about. But it. But at the end of the day, you have a group of people. That's called, not all of them. Yeah, at the end of the day, though, you have a group of people that are called Christians that are out there making claims about the nature of reality, and these there is a, a large number of atheists. I think that generally want to answer those in in. in and critique and combat those claims about reality because they have a different view of reality that they think they should argue for. That's what having a free exchange of ideas is about. So I, I, I don't fault them for that because people out there make claims about the nature of reality that Christians want to combat. And so we do. So, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into people's personal motivations for why they do what they do. Uh, any more than I care for people to try to get into our motivation. Braxton does this for the money. Right. Braxton does this for. No, I always tell people I do this for the money, not him. Oh, I don't know why they always attack him for this. But 
Um, yeah, it's my, my job. I get paid to be an apologist. So, yes, I, I like to feed my kids, so I do this for the money. Um, I would still do it even if I – and I was doing apologetics, just not at this level, uh, when I drove uh, urine specimens around for LabCorp. But, you know, somebody would still give me a love offering to go speak and talk about it in a local church somewhere. What's uh, So I don't get these kind of criticisms. I don't care why people do what they do. Um, I just know that if they're out there doing it in the public square, they think I need to be answered. I think they need to be answered. I'm going to answer their challenges, and they're going to answer mine, and that's just the way the world works. But there are certain atheists that are specifically dedicated to finding out why someone does what they do instead of answering. They care more about their psychology than they, they do about their claims, and that's just a waste of time in my opinion. All right, Uber. It does nothing to settle the matter of whether their claims are true or false. So that's why it's a waste of time. Uber Sheezer, Scheiser, I'm not sure, says, if you found out tomorrow that Christianity isn't true, like I think this is a parody of my question 10 in the 10 questions, so let me phrase it that way. If you found out tomorrow to your satisfaction, like to my satisfaction, that Christianity isn't true, would you cease your ministry or continue for the hope and meaning and purpose you provide so many? Well, I'd cease my ministry. I, I would cease teaching Christianity if I became convinced Christianity was false. I don't teach things that I think are false. So I would cease that ministry. Um, I think I would be, uh, I think I would recognize there's no ultimate, uh, there's no objective meaning or purpose to the world. I would have to go with the Sartian sort of thing that a lot of atheists do and say, well, I can make up a meaning or purpose for myself, but I need to understand that that's not like reflecting anything like ultimate or objective. It's just me doing stuff I like, right? And, um, and, I, but yeah, I would probably do stuff for my own amusement. How would I make money? How, what would my income be? Well, I don't know. Maybe I'd start selling insurance. Maybe I would start selling toupees to other bald men. Are like, you would be the, I used to be a Christian apologist and now I've. Maybe I would start it, sharing guy. that evidence. Right. If I really believed that it was false. I like the answer that Braxton gave to me in private one day. And if I thought I had a good reason. Yeah. I like the answer you gave to me in private one day, so I'm I'm gonna I can't claim this is original. But if I found out that Christianity uh, isn't true, would I cease in my ministry? Uh, probably not, because I don't like any other version of theism that much. So I've never that I wouldn't teach Christianity anymore. If I found out Christianity was false, I wouldn't teach Christianity. I wouldn't teach something that's false. No, you said if it, well, no, I think you said if if you found out that God didn't exist, you'd continue to do it because there is no objective morality. Oh, so yeah, like and, and so that would that's my answer. If, if, if I don't like any other version of, of, of theism, and if Christianity is false, I have no hell to be afraid of. So yeah, I would continue doing this job that I like very much that brings a lot of hope and joy to people. Uh, and since there's no objective standard of morality, I'm not doing yeah. Like the wrong. point being made yeah. there is kind of is kind of facetious. Um, yeah, it's like. If if the idea is it would be wrong then to to lie and teach Christianity, well, wh wh where's the objective thing about the universe that says that's wrong? <laughs> right. But I but I would not teach I would not teach Christianity if I found out Christianity was false. I'd be like, no, it's false. If Christianity is false, I yeah. But see, there again, if Christ, if I found out Christianity or if I became convinced Christianity was false, that doesn't mean I stop liking. Theology. No, you can still teach theology. Say, here's what a bunch of people believed at one time. Right. People I mean, still you, don't have today, to be, you don't have but to it's be. Bunk. There's a lot of people that, that teach Christian theology that aren't Christians or, or teach biblical studies or anything else. I mean, you don't have to stop 
that kind of thing. Now, if, if you want to be dishonest and say you believe it when you don't, that's a different story. But Swifty C, Swift C says, hey, Mr. Hunter, how can I convince my parents to start studying the Bible? It's because they say all you have to do is have faith, and but they never put their faith into practice. Okay, so like you're describing people who are Christians, nominally Christian, um, and, and maybe really like do trust the Lord Jesus, but they just aren't motivated to like live it or read the Bible or anything like that. Um, I think you would you would need to demonstrate to them the truth, uh, the nece- the necessity, the importance of understanding uh, the as much detail as they can about the message God gave us. How in the world could we have uh, a series of books and letters that we believe God intended us to have yeah. and not want to study them if we worship that God? So I would point them to the Bereans who tested everything by the scriptures. I would point them to uh, the importance of hiding God's word in your heart and uh, the importance of Jesus answering Satan with scripture. You know, these kind of things seem to demonstrate that it's pretty darn important to have the scriptures and know the scriptures. So um, that's, you know. Go ahead, Bridget. Here's the thing. Uh, Not knowing enough whether or not they go to church or not or anything else. Look, most Christians for most of human history, did not have their own Bibles to study. They had to do it in communities uh, together. So not sitting around reading their Bibles every day and studying it diligently like people who are theologically interested, uh, it's, not, it's not the end of the world. Um, if they're hearing the spoken word of Scripture at, at church and in other community settings, that's fine. That's okay. Welcome to most of Christian history. Um, on the other hand, I would say, look, you can read. We have this book that, I mean, God inspired a book. Aren't you curious? <laughs> you know, that the, the God you believe created the heavens and the earth and sent his son, Jesus, died for your sins. He has this book here. You ought to check it out. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's not like Fifty Shades of Grey. You ought to see what's, what's in this book. It's not written by some person over here writing slop. This is God's book. Check it out. And if they can't be bothered, they can't be bothered. But, I mean, it's God's books. And maybe ask them, does this indicate maybe to you that that maybe, like, do you really believe this? I mean, like... Aren't you, you curious to see what God... Like, if you really believe this, shouldn't you Shouldn't you want... I mean, Jesus said, why do you call me your disciples and you don't do what I say? Don't you want to know what he says? And if the answer is, well, I generally already know what he says, there's people that have been studying this for 50 years and think they misunderstood what Jesus was saying at a particular right. point. So, um, as this very episode I, demonstrates. I don't think that people just don't want to read or study their Bible because they have a problem with the Bible so much. There's a lot of people just don't read as they should any or as much as they should anything so the bible just gets and you can guilt them a little bit on the back of what pritchett's saying say look there are people throughout the history of the christian faith who were martyred who died so that you could have this book right don't you kind of owe it to them to put out the effort to read it a little bit all right chase says also hey no wait one more thing uh before we get to the super chat what i like to do and what I always do, especially with youth groups, but sometimes with, with, with adults too, I've said it to adults, is to get them to start reading the Bible. Hey, do you have the U version? Listen to the Bible. You don't have to read it. Just hit the play button, and it'll, it'll read it to you. You don't have to do any work. It's great. Uh, that counts as reading as far as I'm concerned. So see if they'll listen to the Bible on a jog or on their commute or whatever. Maybe that'll, that'll get them excited about it to just listen to some some professional reader read it from their phone. Chase says, thanks for the civil discourse. You're welcome. That's what Absolutely. we do here. When you don't start a sentence with, do your best not to be a lying sack of 
doo-doo, Braxton. When you don't start sentences <laughs> like that or essentially like that, yeah, we can be civil. K-Dot says, what are your thoughts on the debate between openness and Trinitarian theology? Well, oneness, uh, very Pentecostalism is heresy, and yeah. Trinitarian is orthodox. So very important. And you better stay away from oneness, and you yeah. better accept Trinitarianism. What's the name of our show, Braxton? The Trinity Radio. And here's the thing. What's the name of our sen- Trinity, seminary? Trinity, uh, Trinitarian. It's kind of an important thing for us. You know, uh, I thought that, you know, what do you mean said it really well recently in a video where he was talking about, look, you know, it's when people say things like, well, the Trinity is never discussed in Scripture. It never says Trinity. Yeah, it never says om- omnipotence either or omnibenevolence or anything like that. Those are those are terms that we use to describe a theological truth that is based upon what Scripture teaches. Yeah. And when you have Peter, Paul, um, Jesus himself and others seeming and the Pharisees thinking that Jesus is talking about himself as though he's God, uh, then you, you're you're on your way to a Trinity. And also right. talking to the Father. Yeah. So uh, there you go. All right, Pritchett. Um, you've had a lot to say today, so here you go. Elizabeth Maine says you're egalitarian. Have you heard about Mike Winger I'm doing sorry. a series on women's role in the church? <laughs> Would you talk to him about your views since he's complementarian? I would, but I think uh, Nick Quint would be better to talk to him because Nick Quint lives in that world. Um, he cares more about that. Just say right, right. He cares more about that. But no, I haven't. I haven't. I don't. I love Mike Winger. Uh, I think he's fantastic. Unfortunately, I don't have the time to listen to every single Mike Winger episode there is. But I will check it out. I'll, I'll be on the look for it. I, I'm behind on all of my friends. I mean, Adam's here, and I haven't watched his latest uh, True ID apologetics, and I feel bad about it. I bet he's not here now. Uh, oh, yeah, he probably he was here. He probably left. Uh, I haven't watched um, Nick Quint's <laughs> latest video either. I, I'm so behind on stuff. So I'm not. I'm uh, all watched up. Jamie Russell, thank you for that super sticker. Pear character lifting some weights saying, keep it up. I really appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, oh. Trinity Radio, the evidence tap dance is just the lackiest way of avoiding the argument to justify their closed-mindedness. Um, all right. I, th- I, thought, I thought you were saying that I was tap dancing. Uh, I get that a lot, too. Uh, Trinity Radio, you're, you're almost sounding like Hume if witnesses have to be doctors or lawyers. They don't have to be. They don't have to be, uh, but I'm, but I, good I, catch. But I'm saying like, if you have one guy telling me he saw something, I've got some evidence. If you have 500 people, I've got more evidence. If you have doctors and lawyers, it may be more convincing to other people because now you've mixed in different kinds of people. Um, but you know, maybe, uh, I like that. Kind what of theory of time do y'all hold to a, a, um, and I, you know, questions here. Super chat. Do you have, do you have any comment on Poland changing abortion laws? Good for them. I, well, what did, how did they change it? Uh, I think they basically banned it. If they banned it, then I'm happy. I think yeah. we shouldn't kill babies. Right. Killing, but, murdering babies in a horrifically torturous jo- manner is morally wicked. Jonathan regardless. tells me Poland is where we have to move if America uh, becomes holy because they're like they're gonna sue people in social media if they blacklist. Look, I understand somebody you don't like and people that I don't like get banned from social media all the time. That's great. The problem with it is, is eventually they get around to you, 
and that I have a problem with. And since I don't want him to ban me, I don't want him to ban people whether I like them or not. So the, it's it's really really trivially easy to answer that that thing. Uh, and Poland says, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, you do it, we're going to sue you." That's fantastic. Do you see anything wrong with saying Jesus didn't say the words "I am God" because it would confuse his hearers, whose image of God was not yet fully developed? Um, I don't know if that's the reason. I I, th- I think the idea is when you look at the messianic secret, he's he's trying not to get himself killed early when he's trying to wait until the hour is fulfilled, right, Pritchett? Yeah, but. But beyond that, but I mean, I mean, he did he did say things that everyone else around was like, he's saying he's God. Let's kill him. Yeah, but <laughs> but but he, but but see that that's that's a false step to say we need it explicitly stated with these three words, "I am God," unequivocally, in order for us to accept the fact that he believed that about himself or affirmed. No, uh, that that number one, that's not how the ancient world works. It's not how the world works anyway. I mean, because if he said that, somebody would come up with another way he should have said it. So uh, what is important is what he did say and how he was responded to based on what he said. But moreover, in the ancient world, what you have is you have a collectivist culture where identity is established by how you're esteemed by others. So what you have, more importantly, is who is it that you say I am that comes out of Jesus? Because that matters more than walking around making claims about yourself, okay? And, and, and outward, and you get your sense of, and Jesus was fully embedded in this collectivist culture. And so your, under, your self-understanding is how you are esteemed by the group. Um, not 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 necessarily tooting your own horn. That's why patrons would have clients running around tooting the horn of the patrons instead of patrons going around boasting about themselves. So it, it all makes perfect sense to me if you take all of that into consideration and look what what did, people thought he was blaspheming and claiming that divine status and divine prerogatives with the power to forgive sins and all these other things. That when you look at those reactions, it's it's as if he as if. Somebody put on the lips of Jesus, I am God. It's, it amounts to the same. So Derek Baylor says, and thank you for the super chat, Derek. What do you think of Brian Abbasiano's case that calling or to be called is primarily about naming? That's a Jonathan question. Well, um, William Klein wrote the original um, uh, journal article from which Abbasiano pulled for in his dissertation, and it's Spot on correct, spot on correct. So what do I think of it? I think it's I think it's absolutely correct. And in fact, you can get um, just Google, uh, you know, the Greek word Klein and 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 put William Klein there. And I think that the article uh, comes right up. I think you can read the PDF for free. Uh, Klein's article uh, on the internet. You don't have to have like a journal database. I think it's freely available, and everyone should read that. It's it's quite compelling. All right, uh, ninety six red skillet. Uh, thank you for that super wow. chat. Says if evolution is true, then how are we to interpret Genesis? Well, uh, you'd have several options available to you. Since Genesis chapter one, uh, you know most people who are not young Earth creationists already think that it's a interesting literary genre. Um, and what we would say, you could, you could take Walton's literary framework view. You could say, um, that, uh, Jesus being, uh, having the breath of life breathed into him was, 
God putting a spirit into uh, a pre-existing body. You could say that Jesus, that that Adam and Eve were special creations, even though evolution was going on elsewhere. You have a number of answers that you could give. Yeah, my my understanding of Genesis has no bearing on whether young Earth creationism is true, old Earth creationism is true, or theistic evolution is true. So you can understand Genesis for rightly, in my opinion, the way I understand it, because I'm always right, uh, in, completely independent of theories about how old the earth is or how human life came came to be whatever um so i i I don't know i mean just agree with me and don't worry about evolution or young earth or old earth or middle earth or any other kind of age (laughs) problem thank you for this super chat zeo hikari says why doesn't god demonstrate his existence plainly to humanity and eliminate all doubt to the proposition why is non-belief possible no don't don't say free will. Oh, I think what you're saying, and this is a common answer that people give to what is called the problem of divine hiddenness, is they'll say, um, well, if God appeared and everything, then you wouldn't have any freedom about whether to accept him. And I, if you're, if you're rejecting that or taking issue with that, I also take issue with that because first of all, it wouldn't remove libertarian freedom, which is, uh, what we're talking about generally when we say free will. Um, and secondly, there are beings who, are certain about God's existence and still rejected him. So, right. so I don't think it takes away free will. And I think Christians shouldn't give that answer. Um, the, the, there's so right. Jesus showed, Jesus showed up at mm-hmm. a point in history. People still doubted and disbelieved. Right. And Satan knew for sure. Right. You know, uh, <laughs> about these you things. know God delivered the, the Hebrew people from slavery and, um, and big scary voice from a mountain, and the second they told Moses to go deal with it, they built a golden cow and said, "No, it was actually this this golden cow we just had Aaron build that 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 did all this, not not whoever was talking to us." So, I mean, what? Given biblical precedent, I could actually make an argument that why well, think it's more effective to make it obvious when no matter how obvious in the instances that it was obvious, it still wasn't obvious. So, so you know. People are going to doubt and disbelieve regardless of how God operates. And I like the answer we gave the last time we were on the program. God has people for this. And Braxton and I and um, Adam Coleman at True Idea Apologetics and Nick Quentin and everyone who uh, believes in Jesus, we're God's people to go spread the news for him. Yeah. Um, so where did I, where did I leave? Oh, wait, I, I think I may have missed some of what you just said, Bridget. But let me add my thoughts, and if it overlaps, then 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 that's okay. Then I'll just demonstrate that you agree with me. <laughs> right. So so I so here's the thing: God doesn't just want people to just believe that He actually exists. God wants people to come into relationship with Him. And so um, w- while it may be the case that showing up on the White House lawn once every couple of years and doing a few miracles to make sure everyone believes might convince people that he exists. Although if you listen to the atheists who I've reacted to, they say, well, that could have still been a hallucination or sufficiently advanced technology. So it kind of rings hollow to say, why doesn't God give us more evidence when if we have him giving you more evidence, many people say they still wouldn't believe, but that's not everyone. Maybe you would believe if Jesus showed up on the White House lawn every couple of years. But the point is not just to get you to believe that God actually exists, it's to get you to enter into a relationship with him freely. So, Um, if, uh, you know, if God knows, if God is aware of all the possible worlds that he could create 
And he happens to know that a world with this amount of suffering, this amount of evidence, this amount of design, this amount of direct revelation would be the one in which the most people freely come to accept him into a relationship, then he's not required to give more useless evidence that won't result in more people doing that. And uh, then, of course, the final and somewhat more glib answer that I give is this. I don't think that God is all that hidden. I think that every physical object and concept in the universe can be used as part of a compelling reason to believe that God exists. So I, when I encounter the issue of divine hiddenness, I don't find God to be all that hidden. And the idea that at least some God exists doesn't seem, most people in human history don't think that's very much the case. So thank you for the super chat. There's our answers. Did I overlap your answer? As you weren't listening to me, I was Googling something on my phone because it reminded me, some of what you were saying reminded me of what uh, Vin Diesel's character Riddick said, and I couldn't think of the name of the movie, but it was Pitch Black, where they asked him if he believed in God, and he said, yeah, and I hate the blankety blank. And I think a lot of people have that attitude, too. So, Yeah, I mean, if think of it. If God absolutely was evident to exist in the way that you're talking about, where he comes and walks around among us, it would in time become like any leader. And there are many leaders that people hate and won't follow. Um, Derek says, what do you think of Geisler's, Norman Geisler's soteriology in Chosen But Free? He defends a kind of uh, what's called moderate Calvinism, which I think is poorly named, in which God gets everything done the way he wants it in a certain way. I just think that it like by basically arranging things such that it, you know, like putting a rat in a maze and making sure the maze is set up the way he wants the rat to go and the cheese where he wants to be to attract the rat and all these. So you're free, but you end up doing what God wants and all that. I just think Molinism is a lot cleaner answer. But um, I, I agree with your assessment in the same way that I say the same thing about Kenneth Keithley's uh, book. Uh, salvation and sovereignty it's incoherent and nonsensical and uh, chosen but free while I'm probably closer to Geisler's view Geisler does manage to stumble upon some right answers in like uh, the worst hodgepodge way to get to them I love Norman Geisler I'm just saying in that book <laughs> I don't have I mean, God bless his soul I, Norman Geisler's Norman Geisler he's 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 okay do you know any Christian apologists that specialize in Hinduism? Yeah, I get the book um, and A Reason for the Hope That's Within. And there's a couple of sections on Hinduism, and those philosophers would be where I would start. Can't remember their names. Um, and also Daniel Apologetics says, yay, Jonathan left. <laughs> I left like, that was a while ago. Uh, let's see. Uh, what are your thoughts on the we've oneness, already, we've we, already, but thank you for the super chat. We did answer that, but but yeah. thank you. Yeah, you're back. Sp- oh, specifically that we both agree Jesus is God. Okay, this is a tough one for me. Oh, this is a different. Jonathan and I have argued about this. Yeah, I'm saying whatever version of hell exists, if you uh, are non-trinitarian, your chances of going are almost as good in my view as a lost person because if you have the wrong jesus you have no savior so here's a thought experiment for and you. i know that rubs people the wrong way oh my gosh i can't believe you said that that's so nitpicky no i mean it's just to me if you if you have if you have this was this issue was so important to the early church that almost all heresies are based on this right it was so important to 
the disciples of the disciples forward for centuries that you get the ontological Jesus correct, right? That you get his ontology correct, that they hammered away at this for hundreds of years. And, and you can't just ignore that, that history, and say, ah, God's cool with... That's not in the Bible, so God, God's cool with it. It is in the Bible. Bible. Huh? No, I'm Bible. saying all those... I know, those, I know. Those, those creeds he, and all those early he, church... Okay. No, if it was that important that early... I'm thinking there's a serious danger getting the ontology of Jesus wrong. And if you do not have a Trinitarian ontology of God, you don't have the right Jesus, you don't have a Savior, any more than, than the Mormons do. And I don't know why uh, people who punt on this say, no, Mormons have the wrong Jesus on ontological issues, but not the oneness people. And so uh, what, evangelicals who don't want to be as as as... as what hard about this issue as people like me no i'm sorry if you're going to give them a pass you need to give the mormon ontology of jesus a pass it's it's just a different ontology no it is you know it, okay. it matters okay okay let me give my thoughts on this too i agree with pritchett i do but on on this particular issue unlike a lot of others I'm more inclined to say I'm not 100% sure about that. And, and I'll tell you why. So, and, I, and maybe you think I'm a heretic for saying so, but, but here's the thing. So let, here's a thought experiment. Imagine that you're in the early church and your name is Zeke. And, or no, you know a guy named Zeke. And you go to the council that determines that uh, God exists as a trinity. And Zeke, your friend Zeke, has loved the Lord for years. He's all about Jesus. He's reaching people for Christ, left, right, and center. He is a solid. He does everything the way he thinks Jesus wants it done. I mean, and I realize we could parallel this with Mormons or whatever else, right? But Zeke's doing all that, and he's really trying to follow the truth. You come back and you say, hey, did you? And this guy's been living for Jesus now for 30 years. And you come back and you say, hey, Zeke, did you know that there's a council down the road that just decided for sure that Jesus exists, that God exists as three persons, one God, uh, Trinitarian nature. Now, if Zeke says, nah, you know, if he's like, I, can't, I don't know about that, are we saying that Zeke suddenly lost his salvation? Or if he was saved, he would have known that intrinsically or something? Um, and this led me to this further thought. If a person in the pews at a church like this it is uh, thinking this way, does that necessarily, but, but they don't have any like rebellion about it. Like if, if, if they had, if they were aware, they would be Trinitarians versus right, the guy, hold on versus the guy in the pulpit preaching it, who has access to all the reasons to believe all the theological, you know, he has books and he goes and studies in the library on this stuff all the time. And he didn't seize the truth and, and doesn't, and doesn't preach it because it would cost him his position or whatever. I, I definitely think that guy's not saved, but but it's but it's because not even so much about the doctrine as it is his rebellion about not telling the truth about the doctrine. Yeah, but that's so I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, I'm saying well, I, I don't would, know. Any, I don't know anyone that's as hard as me about this would disagree with being ignorant about it or or having a less than stellar understanding of the Trinity. Be a a, a Southern Baptist Sunday school teacher that uses the water analogy, doesn't know better or whatever. No, that person doesn't go to hell. But anyone who 
who has heard at least a semi-decent explanation of the Trinity and knows what it is and then flatly rejects it, there's yeah, I'm. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking yeah, about a Sunday school teacher who who gets something wrong about it. Everyone gets something wrong. I, Professors I get something wrong. They would believe the right thing if they did say something. Use a poor analogy, or whatever. I'm not talking about that stuff. Uh, but I'm talking about someone who willing who, who willingly rejects after knowing what yeah. it, what has been stated for centuries. Uber Scheiser comes back about Ravi and says many Christians defended and hid the Ravi. Yes, and shame on them. Yeah. That should be called out. And then I said that the stuff that he said was true was still true, even though he said it. And they said, um, well, did Stalin say true things? I'm sure he did. And insofar as what he said was true, it was still true. Yeah. Um, and his ministry still did mean a lot to a lot of people. And at the time before all this stuff come out, um, it was, you know, he had a positive Im- impact, and and so here's the here's the thing that Christians and non Christians alike need to learn from uh, our prophet Isaiah. You know, what what do those who call evil good and good evil? Okay, none of Ravi's good becomes. Thank you for evil that super chat, Gregory. Because Fisher. he was evil, and and the the contrast is true. Nothing that was evil becomes good. You know, if something is good, it's going to always and forever be good. And if something is evil, it's going to always and forever be evil. And don't call one the other. So can I acknowledge that this evil person did some good things? Yeah, I can. And I don't have to be ashamed to say right. that. If you think that Donald Trump was evil and Donald Trump decried white supremacy, does that does that mean that white supremacy is now a good? No, if, 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 if somebody says something true, it's true. Right. So I don't, I, 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 and yeah, don't defend Ravi, but at the same time, don't say anything good is no longer good that he was that he managed to accomplish. Right. So if 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 his book that he wrote had something in it that helped you along the way, you don't have to go chunk it in the fire just because he turned out to be an awful person. So, you know, if it helped you, it still helped. It did not help you now because, you know, he turned out to be horrible. Okay, Marcia Jennings, my daughter is a militant vegan. She says, well, if she thinks that all of us Christians are just right wing political, all believe the same thing, you can tell her that I'm conflicted over it. And then as for you personally, you can rejoice that JP said what he said because you say you agree with JP. And that makes you right. <laughs> that just know that you're right. Okay. Would you guys tag team to debate Dillahunty and Dr. Josh? But I already debated Matt Dillahunty. Uh, and I doubt he would ever debate me again. But I I debated him, and I don't really have a desire How to debate him again. How much does it pay? Jonathan, see, that's... How much does it pay? I know how that sounds in your head, but people are going to hear that and think you're only don't care for the money. Don't care. Debates are a lot of prep work, and I'm going to get... And, and I have a lot to do already. What does it pay? Israel of Wisdom Media says, who are the most reputable scholars on eternal conscious torment? It's a good question. Well, I mean, who's because like most, most of the church is eternal right, conscious right, torment. Right. Um, uh, Al Mohler debated Chris Date on it. Yeah, and, and got stomped. I mean, and, it was, and one of the guys, did, there was two, um, there was, there was a book with Francis Chan and Preston Sprinkle, but whoever the guy was who was the Eternal Conscious Torment guy, I think flipped anyway. Was it Francis Chan who was Eternal Conscious Torment? No, Sprinkle, Sprinkle was uh, Eternal Conscious Torment. And or he at least flipped. Visitor, and now he's, yeah, he, he could. Well, I'll tell you what. Are you telling me Francis Chan believes in conditional immortality? No. 
Okay. Sprinkle does now. Oh, okay. But Chan still, I think, well, who knows what he thinks. But um, if you want a book on it, the best book that they can come up with, and it turns out to have not be convincing, go, go check out Hell Under Fire. Um, that's a book of essays by a bunch of scholars defending uh, the traditional view, and it's okay. Israel says again, can evangelical liturgy be defended with scripture? How is having music worship time necessary as a part of liturgy? It's not. I mean, you don't have to have music. Right. I think Just it's sing neutral. psalm songs and spiritual songs to one another. Braxton serenades me with his whatever song is in his head at the time and I had to listen to it because he just starts randomly singing. Uh, it goes both ways, pal. Trust me. Yeah, but mine are not worship songs. Mine are not song songs. And mine are 80s retro songs. It then I bug you. Then I win that one, I think. Right. Yours is more holy and yeah. spiritual. That's what you're... Okay. Who no, are God's elect in Romans 8, 33? In Romans 8, 33. Who are God's elect? Um... His eschatological people, um, whether they be Jew or Gentile, that's God's elect. Um, Punchbowl Ericut, how do you think society? How In do you Christ, how do you think at, society at would be different writing. if every committed Christian family adopted a child? Why do you think more Christian families don't adopt? Because a lot of them are hung up on the American dream of having their own children and only having two of them. I was talking to someone about this just yesterday. It's like, if you have more than two, people are going to be like, you do know how that happens, don't you? And make fun of you. If you have just an only child, just one kid, don't, don't you think that kid needs a brother or sister? If you don't have any kids, they're going to give you a hard time. If you're not married, they're going to give you a hard time. The only way people don't give you a hard time is if you have one boy and one girl. That's in America. I'm actually, I don't know if... <laughs> but why don't they adopt that one boy and one girl? I think people are obsessed with having their own kids. And I get it. I think there's a biological desire for that. My brother's adopted. And I, he's never felt like anything but my brother to me. Yeah. I think you're right that, that it would be good to adopt. Yeah, but We've thought of that. I know a lot of... I don't... Why do you think more Christian families don't... I mean, do we have a shortage of Christians not adopting? Um, because I think that a lot of Christian families do. I know tons of Christian families that have, have adopted kids. Um, how do I think society would be different if every committed Christian? Who know that's, I, I don't know. I don't have middle knowledge, but I, uh, I, I think it's great if you go adopt kids, adopt as many as you want, but I'm, I have two teenagers. I'm almost done. I'm not going back to, would you be open to uh, any form of I'm ready to have grandkids. not any form, but I think what you mean is. Is there any form that I'd be open to? Sure. If someone convinces me that the Bible is teaching that, then I'll somebody convinces it. me that science is teaching that way to go. The Bible doesn't teach young Earth. Why would you say if someone convinces me that the Bible teaches that? The Bible has nothing to do with the age of the Earth. That's the whole point I've been trying to make for years on this show. If you rightly understand Genesis, which means if you agree with me, but. Uh, if the science, that's a scientific question. How's the earth? I don't know. The Bible doesn't care. But if, if science can show me it's young, great. Don't hurt me. That's, you know, no fantastic. More. All right. Uh, what is love? Uh, Are we Trinity Radio. Do you believe that some religious teachings on sexuality may contribute to the number of prominent religious leaders who seem to commit indiscretions, or are these entirely unrelated? So, um, I think in denominations or branches of Christianity where people are in, where clergy are 
encouraged not to marry? I do. I think that that can lead, that can uh, contribute. Although I don't have uh, a way of demonstrating that. That's just a personal hunch. Other than like all the Catholic scandals of abuse. But other but, than that, um, we but don't I, have much evidence. But, well, I mean, I, yeah, but I... Um, the, all the, the, the old monk ruins where you find tunnels to the nuns' convents. I mean, come on. I mean, but if someone tried to tell yeah, me like... There's plenty of evidence. If y'all would just lighten up on, on uh, sleep, you know, sleep, having open marriages... Well, then you'd have less adultery. Well, we'd call it something else. We, it wouldn't be adultery. It'd be open marriage. But the Bible would still call it adultery. Um, or uh, if y'all wouldn't teach what you do about homosexuality. Well, I mean, you know, th- the idea is I don't know what effect it would have one way or the other. I think that there is a very suitable sexual ethic that is just um, or sexual uh, setup that is a man marries a woman. Have all you want. That's that's the way that works. And it's great, right, Pritchett? Yeah. You get married, have all you want. But no, I mean, I don't, I don't think. See, it's not just religious indiscretions. Politicians do it. Professors at secular seminaries, are I mean, secular uh, colleges and universities. There's all kinds of sexual impropriety out there from all different bunches. I don't know that the church's religious teachings on sexuality may contribute more or less. It just seems to me that you've got bad predator type people out there everywhere in every profession um i think that the church just speaking in internal critique i don't think it necessarily contributes to it but i do think that the church spends a whole lot of time talking about uh virginity not enough time talking about chastity and those are not the same um yeah i think that's you're right the purity culture one of the big there's the purity culture takes a big beating but, but some, of it's, some, some, some of it's legitimate, though. Yeah. And one thing is the emphasis on on uh, someone was saying this on somebody else's show. I can't remember what show it was, but like almost like marriage is this finish line. And if you can just technically hold out on intercourse until you get married, then all your sexual problems go away, which sorry, once you get married, there are still temptations towards sexual immorality. So marriage is not the finish line. Right. And uh, secondly, it's not just about technically not doing a particular thing. It's about having the attitude that God wants you to have towards sexuality. That human beings aren't objects of personal gratification. Let's start there. Yeah, that they're not meat bags for you. Right. But uh, the flip side of it is I, I, I think that there's a lot of weird... Don't talk about how good sex is because, by golly, that's going to go make them have more of it. No, you can actually. I, I know that not everyone's experience is the same here, but I got that in church. In our churches, the churches I was in, they did they did emphasize. Look, you're going to love it when you get married. It's going to yeah. be fantastic. It's be yeah, the yeah. We did not have that at. at uh, sorry, brother Charlie, we didn't have that at Cedar Heights. In fact, they church. said don't go around telling people that sin isn't fun. Sin's a lot of fun, at least yeah. in the moment, not in yeah. the end. Uh, we, we weren't, but but part of my problem is also we we emphasize virginity and don't have sex outside of marriage to youth. That needs to be something that's more regularly preached from the pulpit to the adults because they're probably the ones having more sex outside of marriage than the people that in the youth groups these days. Believe it or not. Yeah. Well, all you have so, to do is compare country music that the old people listen to with rock and rap that the young pe- hip hop that the young people listen to. The rock and the rap emphasizes premarital sex and drugs, 
and the country music emphasizes extramarital sex and alcohol. Yeah. That's what happens there. <laughs> so, okay, Mr. Yeah, Timothy Ward says... I just think says, we need to make... We need to, to, like you said, you know, rehabilitate, I guess, purity culture, but start preaching chastity more than just virginity. Uh, you know, because, number one, not everyone who... Uh, because it gives this impression that, oh, well, I'm not a virgin, so that's for them, right? No, you're supposed to not have, I don't care that you're not a virgin. If you're not married, you need to be chaste. And, and I don't know, it just seems like virginity is something that, that is made too much of and chastity is not made enough of because... Well, I don't, I don't, I, okay. If you're a virgin, you should be chaste. And if you're not a virgin and not married, yes. you should be chaste. So I think just that's talk true. about chastity. I think that's true, but I don't think that we're wrong to emphasize, quote unquote, saving yourself till marriage. No, and, uh, but and if that's just, the only thing you say, you're that leaving out be a the lot only of people thing, who right. haven't and saved it, themselves for marriage. And they're like, well, shoot, I blew that. So what does it matter? Yeah. And, and that's the concern there, but there's where you, you emphasize that, that's a delicate thing. You got to. I also think it's silly to think that if if you marry a virgin, that's somehow more of a prized bride than one that isn't. It's stupid. And they give that impression too, and it's stupid. I'm gonna read this super chat, okay? Okay. I wasted so much time in high school convinced that the non-Christian girl I was infatuated with at the time would eventually change her mind about God. Hormones can convince you of anything. <laughs> LOL. Yep. There you go. Um. Let's see. Uh, here's here's Punchbowl haircut says, in honor of Valentine's Day, can we hear you two list your favorite things about your wives? P.S. Did you remember to get them something? Yes, but my wife has a tradition in our family that that um, she doesn't wait until the holidays for many of the gifts that she gets. Uh, for that particular holiday, we reserve. We're going to get this and if and the, she won't wait till february 14th so uh she already has her gift and so when my gift came in i already opened it too now i'll tell you what if you're my facebook friend you can go to my timeline on uh august 12th 2020 and i put out a very extensive list uh, of of all the things that I love about my my wife, um, and if I can find it, I'll pull it up and read. So the things I love about my wife are she is a wonderful mother, wonderful wife. She loves downtrodden people. Well, she loves people in general, but it's um, amazing to me how she will get heartbroken over things that happen to people we don't even know a thousand miles away. Um, that that to my that to me I'm I'm unaffected by that. So her tender heart is a big part of that. Um, and she, I do love that she's beautiful, but then, um, I, as far as what I'm going to do for her or get for her for Valentine's day, I really do a big thing, a big deal thing for Christmas and her birthday that comes together. But my wife is a very practical woman and she very much understands that Valentine's day was a conspiracy by Hallmark or other related companies to, uh, take advantage of American capitalism. And she therefore is offended if I get her something for Valentine's day. So I try to just do something nice. Like let's go out and eat somewhere. Sometimes men can have a hard time answering the question when their wives ask, what do you love about me? I don't not exhaustive, but here's a partial list in no particular order. I love you because 
You have a beautiful soul. You are a beautiful woman. You love Jesus more than me. Say it you like always you mean it. Strive. Well, I'm trying to read it fast. Say it into for the what camera. What is right, she's, good. She's going to see this. Look no, into the camera. No, she's she's she gets better than this. Okay, you can make me lose my breath when you walk into That's a room. Creepy. You make me smile. You are so kind. You are smarter than me. You are an incredible mother. You talk me into things I normally never go for and prove me wrong when I thought I wouldn't like it. You are hilarious, occasionally even unintentionally. You put me in my place when I need it, like only you can. You make me try harder every year to be a better husband worthy of you. You cause me to get lost in your stunning blue-gray eyes. Not suitable for Facebook, but still, wow. You taught me to be consistently Christian and put others before me. You take such good care of our family. You tolerate my nonsense. You are a tireless worker. You always somehow manage to see the good and the bad and help me to see it too. You can gross me out with eating cold or room temperature leftovers, and yet I still find it endearing. No one else has this superpower. You trust me. You are caring towards strangers. You manage to look adorable, even in the most ridiculous-looking pajama pants. You have Yes, are you nodding off now? And it goes on and 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 on. I'm not even a third of the way through. And, yeah. And then my wife's uh, anniversary response is, yeah, I'm not going to top that. Love you, honey. <laughs> no, well, really my wife doesn't want me to put stuff like that on Facebook because she's like, if you're putting that on Facebook, you're doing it for somebody else and not me. That's false. And I try to tell her, no, I'm just proud of you and want the world to know. Um, all right. That's right. Here's a question. But yeah, I love. There's too much in that. My my wife is amazing. What's your take on Phaser and Malpass's objection to the Kalam that on presentism the past doesn't exist, so it's not an actual infinite? And if we say that it is, the non-existent future is no. The symmetry breaker there, as far as I can tell, is that the past, the past has existed. The future will have existed, um, but the fact that the past already has existed contributes to where we are in the causal chain, and that has to be explained. And I think that's a fairly relevant symmetry breaker. Yeah. Okay. Um, man, we've been going for a long time. We got fun questions today, too, though, not just, what do you think about it? If Braxton about. gave up ministry, he would make money by becoming the world's most famous bald-headed, bearded PUBG Twitch streamer. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that, because this morning before I came here, I was watching like this month's funniest clips from PUBG or something, and I thought... Is there a way that it, that I could disguise myself and no one will put it together and I could have a PUBG channel because those channels obviously grow a whole lot faster anyway. And then I could pull a switcheroo and make it a Christian channel hmm. and catch all these little lost 17-year-olds. You mean 40-year-olds? Without <laughs> People your age who play PUBG? You and Chris Day type age people? Uber thinks that you're poisoning the well addressing before the question is asked. I don't know what that was. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Uh, unpopular opinion here, or it's going to be unpopular with the atheists and popular with the Christians. Many former Christian ministers have talked about their experiences of losing faith, yet continue to preach due to the issues of letting down followers and income stream. I realized that the Freedom From Religion Foundation started um, the clergy project, which is uh, designed, and I and actually I almost want to give to the clergy project because I don't want those guys being preachers either mm -hmm. because they're lying. They're liars. 
I, uh, is it from a human perspective, understandable that like it's ruining their financial situation and that sort of thing? Yeah, I get that, but I don't want them preachers either. So good on the clergy project, get them out, get them doing something else. That's my position. Is that too harsh, Pritchett? No, I agree. I'm just curious what well poisoning I did. Because I'm obviously the sidekick. Hey, the Remnant Radio. How would you witness to a person like Jordan Peterson who values the Bible in the Christian worldview and what he calls Christian myth, yet denies the authenticity of the historical message? So I um, did an episode on on his uh, on the question when it was asked to Jordan Peterson of whether he believes in God, and, and he said, um, "Who would dare to say they believe in God?" With because in his opinion, what goes along with that is, you know, living it out. Because for Peterson, what you, be, you the way you act, the way you function demonstrates what you believe. And um, in that video, what I tried to point out was actually one thing I would tell Peterson or try to point out to Peterson, and perhaps he's thought of this and would have something brilliant saying, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. But what I would want to point out is the Christian understanding and even the biblical idea that there's a difference between believing in versus believing on. You can believe in God as something that is true, that, that God exists um, without believing on in terms of having trusted your life to him personally and repented of your sins. And the, the notion that Peterson has that, no, you always act according to whatever it is that you believe so that um, your actions demonstrate what you actually believe. I don't know that that's actually I think that's true, but not in the way that I think he means it. So, for instance, I believe that if I would do everything Pritchett tells me and if I would go to the gym and if I would restrict my calories, I would lose weight. I believe that. I'm not doing that. Does that mean that I don't believe it? No, of course I believe it. I know that that's true, but I'm not doing it. So you couldn't look at my actions to determine what I believe about that. Now, what you could do, perhaps, is look at my actions and say, Peterson's still right because while Braxton knows that all those things would lead to him losing weight— what this demonstrates about Braxton's beliefs is that right now Braxton, in, in some measure, thinks he's happier not losing weight. And um, in the moment when there's pie in front of me, that may actually be true. But when you take it to the Christian theological issue of soteriology, I think what, what we would say is, look, Peterson, you can believe that it's actually a conceptual truth. It is true that God exists without necessarily having committed yourself to because just like I believe it's true that the gym exists and I haven't committed myself to it, you could believe that God exists and still have not committed yourself to it. What I would then want to do is say, okay, now from there, let's talk about why I think you should accept that God exists as a conceptual truth and not just a guide rail for living your life as a Westerner and then commit to that. And um, I would let him guide the conversation. Basically, one of the things I really liked about the discussion between Tom Holland, who is in a similar place to Jordan Peterson, I take it, um, when he was on Capturing Christianity the other day, is Tom Holland said, oh, he said, you know, I, I call myself a Christian and I go to church and all these kind of things because I technically, uh, you know, function as a Christian and I think as a Christian and all these kind of things. But I don't actually technically believe it. And he gave a couple of reasons why. Well, that was nice because here we have an example of someone like Jordan Peterson, but who can actually tell you why they don't believe. One of the reasons was that he thinks we're in a place of general. I think I could be wrong. I think he said something like we're in a place of general insignificance in the universe. Uh, another one was, I don't know, neither of the answers I thought were really were that great. So I, then I have something to attach myself to. So I'd want to break down, I think, what is Jordan Peterson's understanding of 
belief as biblical belief as it relates to God. And then I'd want to find out what prevents that. So that was a long answer. I don't know if it was helpful. Do you think it was Pritchett? I wasn't listening. Uh, again, would you be open to any form of YEC? Um, I mean, I'm trying to get through. Okay. Super chat here from meow, meow, meow thoughts on Eric Weilenberg's godless normative realism. Also, does the argument for classical theism from act potency, uh, like Aquinas, um, if sound implied to mystic simplicity, I would have to study Eric Weilenberg's thoughts on godless normative realism. My understanding of all, all, uh, godless, uh, frameworks for morality have some of the same problems. Although I know there's a paper out there that, that says that his is different. And it's like this, is this what's called the robust, um, moral realism or something robust is in the term. Um, I started to read that paper, but I haven't gotten very far with it. I'll have to go back to it. And I, you, so I don't know. you have anything to say to this? Um, I, well, uh, as far, not, not on, godless normative realism but you know if, if this kind of pure act potency type thing sound does it imply i've heard people say no but i tend to think yeah if that's how you're chalking this all up uh yeah it does okay um but i, I could be convinced otherwise but yeah i think that it does entail that more super chat thank you so much y'all are all being wonderful. papa john's pizza hut pizza bullies or I don't know what Pizza Bowlies is of Papa John's and Pizza Hut. I prefer Pizza Hut. Or something else like Domino's Pizza. I prefer Domino's to either of those. Yeah, and I prefer, Domino's is fantastic. I prefer local Angelo's Pizza to any of that. Oh, yeah. Angelo's right right here on Main Street. Angelo's, fantastic pizza. Jonathan, I saw your debate with the Calvinists. The fat guy couldn't have been more rude and obnoxious. Did that bother you? No. Uh, come on, man. Uh, yes, Uh he was all of those things. No, I, again, I don't get bothered by much of anything like that. Um, it just, I had two, two things. One, it just made the night easier. That's fine. Two, it irritated me in the sense that I thought I was going to be debating. I, we knew nothing about these guys. I thought I was going to be debating some serious people, and I spent a lot of time preparing that I didn't need anything that I prepared for. And that was, that was disappointing because I was actually looking forward to the challenge of it. And it ended up being, uh, and then by the end of it, you can see, I let my hair down and just started spoofing the whole thing anyway, making Friday jokes and whatever else. Cause th these people were clowns and they're still clowns. So I still don't take them seriously. I know that one of them is done and the other one's still out there trying to debate people and uh, other people can take him seriously. That's fine. Apparently he's changed his behavior. I don't care. I don't, I will never take him seriously until he apologizes for his behavior that night. He's a joke to me. Um, how do you respond to Tom? Thank you for the super chat. How do you respond to Tom jumps claim that theist arguments is equally an argument for natural pantheism? Um, I did a video on that and Tom jump contacted me and said, but I disagree with your conclusions. And, um, and so I re after talking with him a little bit more, I re-released the video, but with a little qualifier at the beginning, because I'm a nice guy and I try to be charitable. But even though he disagrees with this and doesn't see this as what he's doing, I think that the way he operates in that regard is an example of what I call pinhole thinking, where it's like, 
let me look for any way out of like, even though I don't, I think the arguments like say the Kalam argument seem to imply God, but if, if there's any pinhole way we can escape this, then, then we can, then we'll go that route. And I have a whole video on that. So I'll just encourage you to go check out that just Google Braxton Hunter and Tom jump. He doesn't think he's doing that. He thinks that the naturalistic pantheism is exactly as likely or even more likely than theism. I don't buy it. Um, but you can go check that out. Um, thank you for the super chat. Uh, Barely Protestant says, $5 Super Chat, thank you, says, in what way do you think evangelicals can and should focus more upon the sacraments, especially baptism and the Eucharist? Also, I'm an MTSU alumnus. Well, I don't think that they should view baptism and the Eucharist in the way that I think Catholics and um, Eastern Orthodox and other uh, more liturgical groups do. Um, But I think that they're important, and I think specifically with I think that uh, Protestants do value baptism or evangelicals, I guess you said, value baptism like they should with the Eucharist. Um, I think the problem with the with how we understand um, what we call communion or the Lord's Supper or whatever you want to call it, the Eucharist. I think uh, there needs to be we need to work out how to do that in a way that honors Christ's command and exactly what does he mean by as often as you come together and I think we need to do it in a way that both doesn't make it seem unimportant and just a, a, a ceremonial, just a ceremonial thing. And um, at the same time is more important than I think most churches currently take it. Uh, stop calling them ordinances just because you don't like the word sacrament and thinks it's scary or Catholic. That's that's one, I didn't call it an ordinance. That's well, no, I'm answering the question. That's one thing. Um the second thing is quit relegating uh, the Eucharist to once a quarter Easter and Christmas, because that's just as much of a schedule as what you're complaining about a weekly thing. Make it weekly. Do you not have uh, sins to reflect on? Do you not have to hmm. proclaim? Uh, I do it weekly. I'd like to do it weekly. Proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Is that not something we should reflect on? But every if we're going to do it every week, we need to do it seriously every week. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I don't think that doing it every week diminishes it, which is one of the dumb kind of Protestant evangelical kind of complaints. No, you make it the centerpiece uh, of your worship service. I'm not saying you have to think that you're re-crucifying Jesus or anything. You know, uh, it's not that. If that is what you're doing, is it better to do that once per quarter? (laughs) (laughs) Well, ask the Catholics. But what I am saying is, uh, you should proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. That should be weekly. You should reflect on your own sinfulness. That should be weekly. And you should partake of the body of Christ. And even if you think it is, even if you reject even, okay, you don't want anything to do with transubstantiation, got it. You don't even want anything to do with consubstantiation, I got it. You don't even want any sort of real presence whatsoever. I, whatever, I, I don't get that, but I, okay, that's I understand that's your position. You think it's just a s- empty symbol. Yeah, but it's still a symbol Jesus gave to us. So take the symbol seriously and take it often. He didn't say as seldom as you do this. He said as often as you do this. There you go. Why There's you, my preacher joke right there. I don't know why you look so blue. <laughs> why are you so blue today? <laughs> because Protestants and evangelicals should take the sacraments. Do you have seriously. the power to do anything other than what God knows? If not, how do you have free will? Thanks, guys. Love the show. Thank you, Chase. 
So, uh, what oh, God knows, for what you. God knows is what we will freely do. So God yeah. knows in eternity what we freely do in the present. So it's not like He knows it and then He said it. He said it like deterministically said it so that it has to happen. But if I do whatever I do freely tomorrow, that's what God will have known in the past. So, for instance, one could say, okay, so could Peter have not denied Christ three times after uh, the Lord's Supper? It could he have not? Could he have chosen not to do that? Um, even though it had been said that it would happen. Well, if Peter had not done that, then God would have known that in eternity and Jesus would have prophesied differently. So um, so God, what God knows is he knows because of what we freely do. So um, so there's that. But um, but uh, this this is a, a, a what do you call it? Um, this is a modal fallacy, because like what you're doing is your knowledge is not causal. Knowledge doesn't cause anything. Um, if God determines something, that causes something. But what God knows doesn't make it to happen. He knows it because that's what's going to happen. All right. Um, so there's that. Uh, we've been going for like two hours now, guys. Thank you all for sticking with us. Yeah. Uh, we probably should should shut it down. Um, so I'm kind of just skipping through to see if we have anything else that we have to get to by which I mean super chats. Benjamin Vance says, why do you think God tolerates so many different denominations of Christianity rather than just making one of his one obvious, having a not monopoly on miracles, exorcism, etc.? I think, and I'm actually doing Didn't some... Didn't we answer this last week? Probably. A lot of these get asked every week, yeah. but it's okay. I think, um, and I think that there is, and I'm doing some study on this right now, that there is value in the search and in the, the quest for knowledge. I think that's part of what God wants. I think that is part of the response to divine hiddenness. I think that's part of the response to this. He doesn't want us killing each other over it, but I think that God finds the search for knowledge to be an intrinsic good. And so I think it's fine that there's Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists and whatever who differ on secondary doctrinal issues. Those differences are important, and the truth about those doctrines is important. But I think the search for the truth about them is also important and a good thing that would be lost if we just had one. You agree, Jonathan? Sure. Thank you for that substantial super chat, too. I really, really appreciate it. JW, thank you, Braxton. Have you been in a fight? You seem like too nice a guy to ever get in a fight. <laughs> what a great question. If you mean like a fist fight. You ever come to fisticuffs, Braxton? I did. Um, I don't know if you'll ever see this, but neighborhood guy... When I was about 13 years old, his name was Chad. I have a brother named Chad, but it wasn't my, my brother. And we agreed to fight on the playground, on the wood chip playground, and he even told me I could throw the first punch, and it was the dumbest first punch anyone's ever thrown. I punched him right in the forehead, which did nothing. And uh, he laughed at me, and uh, we scuffled around, uh, and uh, not much came of that. But I fought him later and actually threw him into the, the creek in the middle of winter, and he was fine, don't worry. Uh, but, uh, but, but, and then once when I was a basketball, I played basketball, I guess I was in eighth grade and, um, a kid named Sean pushed me and I pushed him and he fell down and then I jumped on top of him and started fighting him, beating him. And, um, not, I couldn't have been beating him that bad. I mean, I'm not that kind of guy. And I tried to tell my teacher that it was self-defense and he said, yes, it was self-defense when you pushed him and he fell down. It was not self-defense when you jumped on him. So um, I don't know if I've like ruined my chances for political office in the future by answering that question, but uh, there you go. I um, 
CJ Lingle says, what is your preferred Bible version to study out of? And I don't mean it is the only one you use, the New American Standard Bible. And I, I haven't really gotten to, there's a new, new one that I haven't gotten to play with much, but the New American Standard. Pritchett, what about you? Yeah, New American Standard. But uh, as far as what I like to read the most often is my Christian uh, Standard Version Reader's Bible that doesn't have verse numbers clogging up the page, and it's real big. It's spread over five volumes. It's fantastic. Okay, well, I think I got through everyone. I'm not sure there are any that more paid super money. Chats. Say it, that paid money. I got through everyone who gave us money. Irenic Pelagian says, what are the pros and cons between classical theism and strict biblical theology? What factors cause you to lean one way or the other? Well, I, I think both Pritchett and I are like Neo. <laughs> there, there, there's no such thing as strict biblical theology. You can't go to go to that without... I don't, I don't even know what that means. You just, okay, I believe all of these sentences and leave it at that and put no ideas about those sentences together. And the second you do that, you can either go, you end up with either classical theism or finite godism or some other. You come up with some variety of theology, you know, uh, personalism, whatever. You're going to come up with some construct that's not strict biblical theology. And you just let you say, uh, I'm going to take this sentence from the Bible, from Exodus, where we're... we're you know, God is long-suffering. Okay, I'm going to believe that about God. But you're not going to tie that in. The, you're not going to take all the collective statements you made about God in the Bible and tie them into a coherent way of thinking about God? No, nonsense. Everyone does. So there's no such thing as a strict biblical theology. The second you start categorizing and, and, and inferring from and reasoning from the data of all those statements, you're going to come up with something. It may not be classical theology, but what you don't have, anything you say that's not one of those sentences is not strict biblical theology. That's a myth. So, Unless you just repeat a biblical statement and make no comment or add to it or try to sort that out with other biblical statements and just say, well, I just believe the Bible. Then you're that guy. But you don't. So no one does. So there's no. I don't. I don't. I don't get this. And I don't get this stuff about strict. No one has a strictly biblical theology. The second they try to put it in their own terms and conceptualize about what all that means in an overall picture. So I try to have a biblical theology, but I agree with Pritchett, and neither he nor I. Will, every classical theist will say that he tries to have a, every open theist says I try to have a biblical. Everyone's going to claim that. So that claim means nothing. What you have is something other than. Uh, a, because all a strict biblical theology is the Bible says this in the story, not going to make any inferences or thoughts about it. That's I just believe that sentence, and I don't think anything beyond that. that that's a strictly biblical theology, but no one does that, so it's it doesn't exist among you. Go ahead. But we are both neoclassical theists. We we would modify classical theism, each of us a little bit. All right, um, last one because he asked it twice. Emmanuel E says, what do you think about the transcendental argument? Well, depending on how it's framed, I like it, and I agree with it. Yeah, I mean, the moral argument's a transcendental argument. And, yeah. A and, kind of transcendental. And, but in my, in my book, Evangelistic Apologetics, I actually devote a chapter to a transcendental argument, and I, I think they work. That, but I know that mostly presuppositionalists are the ones that use those, but I think they're right, even if I'm not thoroughly going a presuppositionalist. It's like those people who say, exegesis trumps theology well if your exegesis is garbage no it doesn't so i mean statements like this that people punt around on the internet as if they mean something 
No. I, Are you I'm back sorry. on the last question again? No, I'm just riffing from from the, it's these kinds of things that people say, like my exegesis trumps systematic theology. Yeah, but if the systematic theologians are right and your exegesis is garbage, no, it doesn't. So settle down. And I say this as someone who's not a systematic theologian who lends, tends to go more into biblical studies area. Systematic theology is as necessary as biblical studies because it's all reasoning from the same data. Well, this has been a fun day on Trinity Radio. We've enjoyed it. Check out the other shows on in the Trinity Radio or the Trinity um, Commission Consortium of videos and podcasts like Chris Date on Theopologetics and uh, Leighton Flowers on Soteriology 101 and Matt Chisholm and Billy Wendelin on The Bible Brodown and Steve Gregg on The Narrow Path. Tim Stratton on Free Thinking Ministries. Free Thinking Ministries. He has a YouTube channel. This has been fun. You guys have really... Chris um, Featherstone. Vision United. Go check him out. All right. And with that, we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.